when a mother loses a child, the system looks into it and they'll say, you know, because there's been a lot of documented cases where where mothers who lose a child will actually steal a child. And this is well documented. And the system, when women do this, might snatch a child. We'll look into the circumstances and see that they have a kind of temporary insanity issue going on with that, you know. But when a father loses a child, that natural urge to want to get back with your child is exploited. Because I'm sure my desire to see my children is the the guilty part of my personality because I know that if I didn't desire to want to be with my children, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have ended up in prison really, you know, because a lot of people have said to me, you know, just leave it. They'll come and find you when they're older or, you know, just leave it. Don't, don't, you're going to get yourself in trouble. But I think part of being a father and part of being a man is expressing that um, protective, um, nurturing side that you, that is triggered when you become a father. Because in terms of my little girl, because um, she was the first, she changed me as a person. Do you know what I mean? The, from the very first night I saw her in this world, you know, after she'd been born. I made a, a promise to her that I would never leave her. And um, so I broke that promise, really. Not, I didn't choose to break the promise, but I did break the promise. So that natural desire and natural instinct to protect her and to um, nurture both of them was inspired by her, actually. You know, she was the one that triggered that in me. Mm. So when that's born in you then, you're supposed to express that to the children. Now, that natural desire is exploited by the system because they know that fathers are going to want to try and see their children. So they're basically criminalising a natural instinct. instinct, And it's destructive. It's disgusting. And I know that they know they're doing this because they're very clever people. They know about human behaviour. They know how we... we interact and react to certain stimulus or you know when things are taken away also the knob will react so it's natural for me to react in this way but what the system wants us to do seemingly is to be abused by it be destroyed by it and then just be happy with that you know mm-hmm. just walk listen your children have been taken chill out get on with what you need to get on with even if you want to take your life, it's not an issue. Just don't do it in a messy way. Don't let it come back on us. But we're finished with you now. You need to remove yourself. That's really the attitude of the system. We've fed on you. We've chewed you up and spat you out. Now listen, let's not see you again. <laughs> It's Massey. Welcome back to Midnight Mass. All right. This time I am speaking to Elevi. That's the voice you just heard in the intro there. 
this is an incredible story, which is still, I mean, he's right in the middle of this. So Elevi has basically been fighting for his family, for the right to see his children for years now. I mean, it's crazy. This is about family courts, father's rights, and just the entire legal system, really. But like the family courts, are they don't operate to the same standard as like criminal court. You're going to hear all about the family courts, what the process is like, how the incentives are aligned to break families up, not to keep families together, and how ultimately, ultimately the needs and wants of the children and the best interests of the children aren't really at the heart of this. It's not about that. This is a battleground between parents and it's facilitated by the state. He is led from having his children taken away to then going to prison. I mean, you will have heard him say he went to prison in the intro there, and he went more than once. But when you hear what he went to prison for, I mean, your mind, you'll be coming up with, well, what could it possibly be, you know? It must have been something pretty bad to get locked up. But wait till you hear the reasons he went to prison. Insane. This is a nightmare situation and a crazy story which is still unfolding and I am very grateful that Elevi sat down to share this story with us all. So you may as well just hear it from the start from the man himself. So that's enough jerking off. Let's go jerk off in church. <laughs> All right, at long last. At long last. I am sitting down for the second time, but the first time you guys are hearing about with Elevi. How you doing? Man, thank you very much for doing this. You're welcome. It's a great pleasure. A second time. A second time. First time I turned up and I didn't bring my USB-C adapter and I was very embarrassed. Yeah, but you know something, it's for a reason, you know. Yeah. Because I think it's better doing it now. This is a better time. What's happened since? A massive amount's happened in, what is it, about two weeks ago? Two weeks ago, yeah. Yeah. A lot's, a lot's happened. happened, yeah. So we'll get into it. So let me see. I sent you a video that I took of you in 2010. So um, I saw you playing music in the middle of Liverpool. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of buskers in Liverpool, and I just generally ignore them. Um, but when I heard your music, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Enough for me to take a video at the time. I thought, I like this guy's style. Um I like the way you interact with the audience, with the crowd walking by. I remember it was your music's very epic, and <laughs> I remember you, some guy went past, this lad went past, and you stopped as you were playing. He said, "Oh, look, it's him, the one that the prophecy spoke about. He would come on this day with blonde hair and a beige was it a little person? hoodie. Little. <laughs> it was just a little young lad, but you just like went with it, uh, and I just thought it was epic. Epic. You got people involved, didn't take it too seriously, but the music was really good." Thank you. And uh, then I've been away from the country for years, came back, and it was late last year I saw you again. I came, I was like, oh, Elevi. <laughs> so I got your Facebook, um, and yeah, now we're sitting here. Um, how long have you been playing music? I've played music for a long time, um, first in the church, and then I took time away from it. And then when I got into writing, I um, went back into it, it drew me back into it. 
but yeah, a while. In in the present form, it's been on and off for about fourteen years. The big off is um, the whole stuff that has been going on for the last how long? Six, seven years. Mm. So yeah, is it still the legal stuff you've been dealing with? Legal stuff, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Family stuff, legal stuff. Family which stuff. are the same, really. Yeah, which became yeah. legal stuff. Yeah. People shouldn't really think... Nobody should as- associate family with legal stuff. And uh, and the majority of people who must be listening to this would never, ever associate those two things. You say family, they'll think about maybe days out or some things that they've been through with the family, good or bad. Those things would spring to mind. But... Even though I've spent, what, seven years tops with my children. The legal side of family has become the prevalent side in my life. The law. (laughs) They're all one. Family and law (laughs) is the same thing. Yeah, it's crazy. It's nuts because I suppose that... Suppose it starts with law, doesn't it? In this, in in all countries, because now you get married, which is where most people start a new family, mm-hmm. uh, or for some people their first family, and that is less of a religious, spiritual thing, and it's more of a legal thing in the West. Mm-hmm. Certainly, um, I've seen some from uh, my dad's from Iran. I'm half Iranian, so I've seen Iranian weddings. I've seen British weddings. It feels way more on the legal side over here. Yeah, it all is. I think as more and more as as time's gone on, and say the traditional setup of a family, so the traditional man and woman, that process has become more legal and legal and legal. So, I guess back in times gone, the legal part of getting married that's a contract. But many times you wouldn't get to that point where more law was coming involved, such as divorces but then obviously a time come came when divorces became the norm and then when that happened and people separated more financially then you'd have stuff like prenuptial stuff so over time more legal stuff more official legal stuff has come into play and it's kind of started off with the with the parents and then it's filtered down into the whole children stuff contact and stuff like this over a period of time and I think there's driving forces around the family unit that are parasitical Mm. you know but this whole law thing to do with family and stuff like that when you said that it all starts with law but I've realized through going through this that everything is law and everybody's suffering because of some law or other you know Mm. especially now yeah so what other areas spring to mind when you think about that, when you say everything is law? This is something you've realised, because obviously everything is. I mean, we're governed by a set of laws. Um, what well, other stuff springs to mind that you wouldn't normally say? So you say family? Well, it's a legal well, contract, essentially. Yeah, but even staying within the family arena, um, you'll find, like in my situation, I started off fighting for father's rights, and that kind of changed into children's rights. And these are principles entrenched in law Mm. so when you um, arrive at those places and I arrived at those places through being in this family court system when you arrive at human rights and you see that these human rights aren't being 
um, adhered to, you kind of take yourself out of the structure of law, the kind of commercial side of law. You don't leave law because then you go into a kind of natural area, you know, where you think there's what the system says is law and then there's natural justice and natural law. Mm. You know, these are two things that seem to be incompatible with the structure that we live in now. You know? Yeah. So people, in essence, all over the world, whether it be in family, whether it be for freedoms that people think are being taken away, you're fighting for a, a, a natural thing and you're wanting a system that's unnatural to embody that thing. Mm. <laughs> it can't really, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So in your case, it's the natural right of a father to spend time with his children. Yeah, but, I'm, you know, because of the stuff that's happened um, lately, mm. it's that would be a given what you're saying there and most probably would agree but people would agree with that but let's take it one step further with a with a with my next case that I'm going to be prosecuted for I'm going to be prosecuted for actually saying my children's name names that's what I'm going to be prosecuted they've they've got other charges but for me that is the principal thing because when I said uh, my children's names it was to claim the names so in the video that they're prosecuting me for I said, I've got a right to say it. So contact is one thing, but you can have contact with your children and not actually take away your your innate right to mm. your children and your... <laughs> who, who has the right to tell you that you cannot say that your children's names, you know, but... Yeah, the, the world that we live in, there's so many, like, things that you actually don't have a right to. And these are things, like you say, that you would naturally just do. But there's a group of people who say, no, you can't do this because we have these reasons. And these reasons benefit society greatly. So Mm -hmm. if you're a victim of that, that doesn't really matter. This is utilitarian. We care about the greatest good for the greatest number of people, which is how it's just the path to tyranny. It's crazy. Um, Let's get into it then. Because I'd really like to, I wanted to sit down and talk to you about this today. Um, Mm -hmm. I saw your music, liked your music. Followed you for your music and very quickly saw the trouble that you were having. So you do yeah. a YouTube channel and Facebook page called Elevate Truth TV, mm-hmm. which I really like. I really like it. I've been watching some of your stuff. I like how you don't just talk about things. You're not afraid to actually put the clips in of whoever you're referencing speaking about it, which is getting more and more difficult to do now, especially <laughs> on YouTube. Um, I like how you just do it. Um, so are you cool talking about the journey from the start of like where these problems began? Cause I'm really yeah. interested in the whole family court struggle. Uh, I'm very interested in when I have children, which country am I going to have children in? I've got a few options on the table at the moment and the UK doesn't seem like the best one. No, it's not. Um, but where is, <laughs> yeah, where is, <laughs> yeah, where is Mars? <laughs> Cause more stuff is being trickled down from the top. So they're creating a system so that, well, it's always happened that, but they're creating a system where it can be done more efficiently. So, um, yeah, systems don't seem to want to change. But going back to how things started, now most people speaking about um, family court stuff would 
be talking about issues to do with their the mother of their children. And I've heard a lot of stuff to do with that. And that's where I started. I had issues with the mother of my children. I went to a, we went to a group as a family and I was just into the group, go to the class, for, for the children basically, go to the class. Um, Sorry, what was the group for? It was a capoeira group. Oh, cool. Yeah, nice. Manchester Angola capoeira. So you did capoeira? Yeah, I did it for a while. I can do, I can still do some stuff. But when you say I do it, I'm not doing it actively. I'm not active in it. Not active capoeira, but <laughs> no. you, yeah, you've been guilty of doing capoeira. In the past. Yeah, it was good <laughs> when the children, because it was basically a children's class, and then we had the whole historic thing. So this was a thing the mother of my children kind of organised, and I was well into it. She got more involved with the community aspects, and I just wanted to do the class and do it, do it with my children. So it kind of kind of broke the 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 kind of ideology of why we went there. And then she got involved with certain individuals. Now, the reason I'm not going to go too deeply into that is because, like I say, I don't want it to become a thing where I'm pointing out stuff that she's done because I've done it in videos. Yeah. And this the reason why I did that in videos was basically because of the way lies are used in the family court system. And I'll most probably come back to this, but the truth has become my greatest weapon and over a period of time, I've seen how that's worked in my life. So, yeah, the reason why I don't want to focus too much, yes, you got involved with some guys, and I thought, okay, I'm losing contact with my children. I didn't get too involved in it. I said, you know, if you, if you want to have a single life, have that. All I want is my children two or three times a, a week and one foreign holiday. Were you, sorry, were you married at this time? or no. just, just in a relationship? Okay. Yeah, just in a relationship. De facto married, though, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, it's supposed to be. But if we're talking about law, <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't married now because I tell you what, some people who are married, you know, can be absolutely slaughtered financially. Yeah, slaughtered. You have a contract. Yeah. You better keep to that contract. Yeah, slaughter, slaughterization, I call it. <laughs> <laughs> so I like that. Um, so I'm glad I wasn't married. So in this kind of common law sense, we're, we're married. But again... The solicitors don't want to dare to any kind of common law stuff, so that doesn't really exist now. And you can't monetize that. Yeah. But yeah, so when that request didn't work to have that time with my children, I went to the courts. At this time, I was still having contact with my children. <clears throat> Although things weren't good between me and the mother, she wasn't stopping from seeing the children. She traveled to, you know, where I was living at the time because I left the home which was Blackpool. And um, so when this kind of separation from my children started happening more, I'd have to be fighting for time for them. I'd, um, I went to the family court and I, and that's, that, the reason I say this is because, <clears throat> again, why I don't want to focus too much on her is because over a period of time, you're not fighting her you're fighting a system that she's exploiting and they're exploiting her. A kind of symbiotic relationship that works very well for certain people that are plugged into that kind of mentality. And the mentality of the family court is very insidious and also it's destructive, it's um, um, abusive and it's corrupt. And I say the word corrupt a lot, and a lot of people use the word corrupt, but because we're dealing with, um, I think it's the most corrupt arena. So 
you go in there and the family court have a way of making you feel like you're the first person they've ever encountered. And this puts you in a situation where you are going through a process that you don't understand, but you think it's going to accommodate you. But what the process actually does is destroy families, destroy you. Um, and there's uh, quite a few methods. The last video I did was about a solicitor that my um, mother and my children now has after another set of solicitors. And they have granted her legal aid. And this whole legal aid thing is a destructive thing in terms of law. And the system is being manipulated through that. But it doesn't... It seems as if the system wants to correct its problems, but it doesn't because it works the way it works. You know, if you break up a family now, there's a possibility, and here's the, the mentality of these people, that you are creating work for your future generations and for your industry in the future. If you split a family up. If you split a family up, yeah. You're getting revenue from doing it now. You are dividing... Well, you're dividing two people. Say you were just able to mediate those people. Where's the funds in that? Mm. Where's the... But when you split two people, then you have two solicitors. You have two legal firms. And if we can draw this out, we can make a lot of money out of this. So let's make them battle. So just on a financial basis, it's good business. And if you've got young children you know, are more likely to get into crime as a result of a broken family, which is well documented. Um, then you've got future generations for the criminal justice system that will feed that. And um, it's difficult not to, to, to explain my story in a linear form because so many things, such as what I've just said to you, to do with the criminal justice system. I've never been to prison before, apart from as a result of the family, going to the family court. Now again, why would you associate something to do with family? You've gone to a, an environment to help you have contact with your children, but as a result of that, and I must say, as a result of my actions, I ended up in prison twice. So, it's just an interesting, even that in itself, you've been able to feed the criminal justice system as a father. So they see that it's, it's very lucrative for them. Mm. There's very an incentive lucrative. to keep the whole, to split the family up and to keep the whole thing going, like you're yeah, saying, which definitely. is a massive change <clears throat> in the past 40 years, 50 years in the UK. Mm. It's a massive problem in America. Uh, Every, well, with this, with this um, legal system, Wherever you find this legal structure, you will find the same principles at play. And again, we're, we're looking at, it's human nature that's being manipulated as well, you know. For instance, I talk about the mother of my children being narcissistic. Most probably hurts her very much to hear those kind of things. But over a period of time, what's interested me more than calling a person a narcissist is seeing how that person fits into the system, yeah, and um, for me that's an eye opener because one of the last videos I did was um, to do with empathy and 
narcissism and the lack of empathy is not only prevalent in people that exploit the system but it's also prevalent in the in the system itself because barristers and lawyers who are splitting up children and making money out of children can't have any empathy in any way shape or form so when from my experience a father shows empathy in a court situation you looked at it in two ways basically a lamb to the slaughter and a dangerous element a dangerous element so you must become a lamb to the slaughter because empathy compassion and stuff doesn't work in that environment in the court environment because they're not dealing with really um natural justice to say there's an innate thing within us that says something's wrong and something's right they can't look at that kind of aspect and stuff so your children become a commodity to them that's why it's very simple for them to facilitate very very negative things because children not really looked at as as beings as you know people people yeah yeah they're not are they no it's uh yeah the sooner you treat a child like they can make decisions for themselves adult decisions so you know whatever that may be you start with stuff which isn't going to massively impact them but the sooner you give children responsibility anyone responsibility they learn from their mistakes and they move forward like everybody does. Yeah. And you're just, if you hold that off, the, all you're doing is stunting development. Yeah. And you also validate them. If you say, okay, well, you've got, if you had five people in there and you gave everybody a say in how we're going to deal with the day, okay, we're going to go for some social stuff, we're going to go to see a film. But then one person in the group, you said, well, you know, we'll decide, you stay out of this. Then... I'm sure as you went about the day, everybody would feel validated, but that person wouldn't. And that person would either bury that feeling, very destructive, or, or say something not as destructive, but could end up being a destructive situation if it's not taken well. Well, in, in the same way, when you don't give children the, a chance to have an input and a say, then you're not validating them as human beings. Never mind the the fact that they won't be able to direct their life because you're taking that away from them. You're not validating them, and that's again what the um, the family court extortion system does, because that's what it is, and it? it's an extortion system. So back to what I was saying about the progress of what happened. So once I went to the family court, and I didn't see this happen. But in my mind, this is what happened. As soon as the papers were served from the court to the mother of my children, all contact stopped. All of it. And I thought to myself, after a period of time, I was in Edinburgh at the, at the time, so I didn't see the children all over that that um, kind of New Year celebration time from Christmas to New Year. And that it wasn't odd for me, you know, because I'd go away and work a lot in those times but on that year it was like terrible because the stuff has been cut off I'm away anyway trying to enjoy and make money and bring it back to the family and I'm thinking will I be going back will I see them so I waited after all this time and tried to see them and it didn't work and I went to a I went to a swimming lesson on the 5th of 
January 2015. Yeah, 2015. So I went to, went to the swimming lesson and I saw the children, no problems. It was a bit frosty between me and her, but I turned up and I went there and they enjoyed it. Um, so was it something like the capoeira, which was you'd, you'd regularly go to it? Yeah. So it was a, oh, okay. Yeah, when I wasn't working, I'd always go swimming with them. So I, yeah. thought, I thought, okay, no issues. I'll just go there. Even if she's not going to let me have contact her, I'll just go. Yeah. So I went, no problems. Two weeks later, I got a phone call from the police saying that there'd been an incident at the um, swimming lessons. and What? Yeah. Now, when I was leaving them that day, they wanted to come with me. My phone was about to die. And um, I just reeled off some pictures of them, you know, her, little one, little guy, did them. So there's loads of little pictures of them smiling like this. And those pictures I tried to use with the police to say, well, there's no incident, there's nothing. I tried to use it in the courts to say, well, this is the last time I saw them. You've got a report here saying that there was some kind of incident. You've got a police report as well saying there was some kind of incident. There's no incident. We went swimming, pretended it was everything was okay. To all intents and purposes, the children enjoyed themselves, you know. But just because she must have come up with an idea two weeks later and by that time gone to a solicitor who would have said this to her, you need to report everything. You need to get things and, you know, if he, if he contacts you, report it. If he, betrayal. You know. Did it, sorry, sorry, did, it, did you ask them what the incident was? Oh, yeah, the police said that they came round to the house and the police um, looked at the children and they said, the children don't seem to be any, any any trauma, so it's not an issue that we're taking forward. But that wasn't the point. It was recorded as, yeah. you know, it's recorded as an incident. They responded as an yeah. incident. So on paper, it looks like an incident. The client take... had to report to the police on several occasions, one of which being this date, a incident. Yeah. And that's all it might. It's like, and, a, it's like an accusation. It's a, it's yeah, a they don't get a statement from me. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to court. I'll never put a statement in. The only statement that's going to be in is the, the report from the alleged victim, isn't it? He'll say, oh, he came swimming he made a you know we had to run out thinking well okay that's what you're saying but it'll never be challenged but it'll be recorded as that so as as the time went on with the court more allegations kept happening and then past allegations and what would happen is every time went to court so court might take a month to get to another hearing or two i'd live from one court hearing to the next, thinking something will change. And without fail, two or three days before the court hearing, I'd get something else through, another statement, or sometimes just on the day, I'd get a statement saying, oh, there's been more allegations and stuff. And that would throw me sideways. I'd go to the court, try to fight these allegations, trying to maybe look for stuff like emails that prove that, this isn't true or something and I'd put it in and it you know wouldn't make any difference and then um there was a turning point in the case because there was um I remember it being I think 2016 and um it was mother's day so I sent the children some gifts to give to their mom because that's what I'd do 
And on the Monday after that being the Mother's Day or the Tuesday of court hearing, this was the first time that she used the rape allegation. Now, when I was in court and this allegation came out, again, I'm going to court thinking that I'm going to, I've done loads of things. Maybe I've done um, solicitor stuff, gone to see a Mackenzie friend, written stuff up. You know, I've got a place, taking pictures of the house that I've got, sorting out bedrooms and this and that. You know, this is stuff I'm putting into the case. And I go in thinking that they're going to be looking at what kind of father I'll be. Mm. And boom, this allegation. (laughs) Um, A rape allegation. And there's nothing more surreal than this, right? Everybody in the room, the judge, the barristers, they're all talking about it as if it's happened, you know. The judge is like, um, well, due to the serious nature of the allegations and the fact that we'll need to um, protect... I was going to say a name then. No way. <laughs> we don't want the police coming in I'll be kicking the door. We don't, <laughs> you said her name. Yeah. Don't want that to happen. Not today. Yeah. So, yeah, this allegation... And when you're in this thing, you, you you don't know where to look. You don't know what to do. And I remember looking at her and, and there was just no no emotion, just cold. And again, that's not the person I really knew. But to see this person, you're thinking, wow, almost like somebody's got to the person. Or, But again, it's that symbiotic relationship. Yeah. So, yeah, Donne's rape allegations had to be looked into so this was from was this meant to be a recent thing or during the relationship during the relationship well at first it was more of a it was a very vague allegation and then it built up and developed so I mean that's one of the reasons why I'm not sat in a prison for rape really because when you have a a reality you'll tell that reality in, in the in at the start of something you won't drip feed somebody you know, little bits of your story, what you'll do is you'll tell what happened. But when you are fabricating stuff and you need it to have an effect, you'll develop your story over time. And As no, it develops in your mind. Yeah, and it, and and the inconsistencies in those developments are what really saved me. Wow. Because, you know, to all intents and purposes, the, the system acts as if it's real in order to drag a case out. So... Then there was a finding of fact. You have to find out whether this is true. Can't look at the welfare of the children yet. You have to find out whether what she's saying is true. So this took nearly a year, another year, you know, to get to the point where they're going to have hearings to see if this is true. And then maybe when this is over, we can look at the children and whether you're, you know. Yeah, with an unbiased eye. We we promise. <laughs> Once we've checked out your rape allegations, mate, we'll maybe see if you can go near your kids. Yeah, and while and while this is going on, there's more stuff. You know, it's like accusations of anything you can throw at a person, accusations of drugs, accusations of leaving the children when he was with them, just putting them somewhere, and you going off to party, going off to Manchester, leaving them in the house. Oh, you know, all these things add up to become a just bullets being fired at you all the time, and from the mo- from from the parents, should I say, from the parents' point of view, once you to have no contact, then serves their purpose. 
you know, they're destroying your character while they're creating distance. And from the system point of view now, you know, you are feeding a whole industry, their industry. So, for instance, when the rape allegations didn't work, they used psychological problems, said that I had psychological problems, um, to mental disorders. Now, when they told me... That, so, they said, you know, if you want to see children, we need to do an assessment. I've got nothing to hide, that's what I thought. I've got nothing to hide. Let me do this assessment. Let me get it over and done with. And this is the thing, this is the thing about enlightening people about the system because you go in there not knowing how the system works. So I did this um, psychological assessment, a few hours with a, with what I thought was a psychologist, not a real psychologist. So it's like an, just an interview, basically? Yeah. And then you open with this person and then you get this report. And the report is basically a, a character assassination in terms of who you are. It's very difficult for me to read it at, at first. So, well, so you did get to read it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it basically said I had a, um, personality, a narcissistic personality disorder and paranoid narcissistic personality disorder. And it said that I had to get treatment that would most probably take about 24 months to get to do, to start to see improvements in my thinking. Bloody hell. <laughs> okay. You went for help from yeah. these people. Yeah. Never had an issue. Now, the mother of your children can have whatever issues she want, but none of these issues were ever put in the context of my children. At times, when I got more educated, I would say, well, have the children had a, um, a forensic interview to see what damage my so-called personality disorders had on them? But they won't want to go down that road, you know, because if they bring the children into the proceedings and the children start saying, well... I want to see my dad. There's nothing wrong with my dad. And you're putting them in a traumatic situation. And really, they hold the truth of the situation. They don't want that. So when I actually got around to reading this, I said, okay. I was in a point in my life where I didn't even know whether the um, assessment was correct, the diagnosis was correct. So, yeah, you must may have thought maybe I do have yeah that's what that's that's the thinking I had the thinking that I don't want it yeah you know I don't want to be that person and there was things in there that were just wrong anyway saying that stuff like I had no attachment with my mother you know and can't form relationships but I've always had an attachment with my mother it was basically saying there was no parental you know like I was raised by wolves or something (laughs) didn't say how I was raised but just said there was no paternal and um, I couldn't understand these things that were going into the report. I didn't know where they came from. And um, it's like everything you'd say. For instance, there was a um, a police report that happened that I did. Um, I was performing in London and there was a black PCO and I called her a house Negro. Now, there's a newspaper article on this somewhere. Why did you and call her that? Because I used to get a lot of problems from the um, from the police, right? They used to come in when I go to London, bully me, not on my patch and all this kind of stuff. And when you're playing music, on when the, I was playing music, skin, yeah. it's very different from 
playing anywhere else. Yeah, because London, they have, certainly on the underground, they've got designated busking spots where you have like a license and and the rest of it. So when I made a complaint about them, saying that they're targeting me because I was black, and at this time there was um, this 6-9 rule or something where they were clamping down on uh, all urban music. So when I was playing, I'd get these complaints and they'd come and bully me. So um, after that, after the complaint, they sent in a black PCSO who would, you know, target me kind of. So I called her a house negro, wrong or right. I'm not saying I was right. I'm not saying I was wrong, but that's what I called her and I was taken to court and I was prosecuted from it. Now, I may try to for make saying him, something. For saying that, yeah. So... You pro- so what was the crime? Um, racially aggravated something. So it was basically one black person calling another black person a Negro, yeah, and getting prosecuted for that. Right. <laughs> anyway... It's a word. <laughs> I mean, it's not a nice word, but... It's, it's been word. used. And if I'm guilty, I'm guilty. I'm not bothered anymore. John Spartan, yeah. you have been fined $40 <laughs> yeah. for... Right. So... Bloody hell. My point is this. So the drug drug dragged this case up in mm. the family court now. Yeah. And it was a it was a case of was this your this was in the, the in the assessment. Is this an example of your violence? You know, this is what the psychologist was asking me. I was saying, Well no, I wasn't violent to the PCSO. I just <laughs> said, you know and she said, But it's um passive aggressive and well it was used as a as a thing within the case to show violence, to show threatening behaviour and this and that. Yeah. And it, it was inescapable. I did it. So these are the kind of things. But my point is this. It's a way of destroying your character in terms of any relationship you might have with your children. So I looked at the report. I said, I might have it. I hope I haven't. I'm going to go and find the schema stuff that they say I need to do. Went for 10 sessions. They say it's nine sessions. And over a period of time, this woman's telling me that I don't have these issues. The expert, which is there to yeah, help the expert, you with The you. doctor. This is a doctor. So, yeah, you've been pretty reasonable. Yeah. I mean, you're in there for help. They're all of a sudden bringing up a load of other stuff. And you're not flat out denying it. You say, okay, well, I'll go along and find out. I mean... This all sounds very reasonable way to behave as someone who's been put through a load of nonsense yeah. by the sound of it. So they said you didn't, you don't have these disorders. That they've- yeah, and that was over a period of um, nine sessions. Ten sessions because we had an initial thing, but I look at it as ten, they look at it as nine. But anyway, yeah, I, rec- I didn't record that first one, but all the others were recorded. Was the You seem to be focusing on the nine or ten. Did this keep coming up in court? Yeah. <laughs> he should. He didn't even do his full 10 sessions. Well, they didn't want me to do 10 sessions. They wanted me to do like 24 months of sessions. This was, this was a weekly thing I did, and it was £100 a week. You know, when this woman started saying, yeah, I've got these issues, I wasn't... You were paying gonna, for it? Yeah, I paid for it myself, because the thing was this. Again, oh I wanted to see my children. I was in a position where I was thinking, I'll do most probably anything. If they think I'm crazy, I'm going to see if I am crazy. I'm going to sit in front of this person. I'm going to share with her. I'm going to tell her stuff. And she's going to tell me if I'm crazy. If I am crazy, I'm in the right position because she'll sort it out. That's what I'm thinking. If I'm not crazy, I can go. Within the fourth session, she started to say things like, the way you're presenting doesn't match the 
the report because she had to see the report. The judge made it so that she had to see the report first. You're not matching this. Time went on. She said other stuff. It's my clinical decision or my clinical opinion, she said, in the latter stages, that you don't have these issues. I went back to the court and they blocked that evidence coming in. On the day when I raised the issues, the judge said, oh, well, we've got to hear this. But within hours of speaking with his fellow corrupt people, they said to me, well, because it's a client-doctor relationship, you'll have to get permission from the doctor to have this stuff in. So I went away, phoned her up. There was no way I was going to get an order, a, a, a report from her in a night. So I recorded the conversation and she said it on the phone. Did you tell her you'd recorded the conversation? Yeah. Okay. In my clinic... Like, make sure you've got all your bases covered. In my clinical opinion, you do not have these issues. And I'll write a report to that, she said. I put the sessions and the conversation on a USB, brought it to the court the next morning, served it on them. And then they went crazy. They found a way legally to keep it out, saying stuff about... Um, we can't have one expert challenging another and use some legal case law in order to have that evidence prevented from coming in but you see I was able now they have problems because I did serve it on them and it never went anywhere so that's tantamount to if it was a criminal case then that would lead to prosecution because you've had evidence in the case and where has it gone you've buried it so they're the kind of corruptions that happened in the family court. Nobody's answering to that, but I know that I served that information on you. And there's a long line of stuff, because I've not missed a trick with them. And that's why they have this hard, hard problem with me at the moment, because you want to prosecute me for stuff, but you can't, because if you do, it will highlight your corruption. For instance, there's videos on YouTube that I've been arrested for, and questioned for, which would make more sense if they prosecuted me for that stuff than what they prosecuted me for. But they can't because it's a recording of your corrupt judge breaking the law. He's a criminal. It'll draw attention to what? It'll draw attention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's what happened. And um, as these things started to happen, it was breaking me, but also it was making me into the person I am now because... Um, as these bigger incidents of corruption in the court started revealing themselves, I started to see the game. And it was only when they actually, at the end, denied me access to my children that I turned into the campaigning-type person speaking out. And the first two posts I did on Facebook got me arrested. Um, what was in those posts? <clears throat> Excuse me. What um, in those posts? I basically mentioned the fact that there'd been false allegations of rape and how they were used, because by this time I knew how the, how the system had used those allegations. I'll just tell you one incident. In the early days, when, when the allegations first started happening, I went to a father's rights group, um, Families Need Fathers, and when I went in, I went in with this attitude. She, she'd not got to the allegation about rape yet. She'd doing low-level allegations, you know, he did this, he did that. Um... And I went to this group thinking, listen, I've got to tell these guys about what's been happening to me. You know, they're going to be shocked. 
So when I went in the room, I'm sat there. <clears throat> There's about maybe eight other guys in there. And I'm not the first to speak. So I'm about the fifth or something to speak. So it goes around first person. When I'm listening to this guy, I'm thinking, wow, that's similar to mine, but it's worse. I'm thinking, at least she hasn't said that stuff. And then as it went round, just more stories that are basically the same, but worse than me. And by the time it got to me, I'm thinking, wow, at least, you know, she's not accused me of rape yet. And she's not done this. And little did I know it was about to come. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that was the first kind of realisation. Didn't sink in properly. That there were certain patterns going on, you know, in the way things were done. So the reason why allegations of rape are so good in the family court is because if they're historic, there's no way of proving them. It ties into the way the legal system works in the family court. In a criminal case, you need evidence. And it's decided on evidence. You can't have hearsay. But in the family court, it's decided on probability. So if, um, if I was to punch you now, and you heard the audience was to hear, oh, oh, and a bit of, listen to that, and they'll think, well, it sounds like it probably happened. But there's many, many scenarios that could give those sounds. Mm. And in a criminal court, you would say, well, did the person fall over to make those sounds? Who was attacked? Was it the other person? Did it even happen? Would the sounds genuine? Could have, you know... And once the evidence came out, the show actually went on in room. It could be very different from the from the image taken from just the audio. Well, in the in the family court, they don't care about evidence. It's just probability. So now I say, well, you look like the kind of guy who, who would punch someone. And judging from that incident that happened when you was calling that PCO a house negro, you most probably did it. <laughs> That's all. Mm. so it works in a way that really benefits the system it's working on probability anyway you've got something that can't really be proved right or wrong really good we can draw that out so in a tool just a tool yeah. yeah so in a family court case now you can only get legal aid if there's been accusations, allegations of... Well, no, if there's been domestic abuse or child abuse. That's just an incentive to say there's been domestic abuse exactly. and child abuse. Exactly, exactly. Put it me is. down, it's like, yeah, put me down for that then because I don't want to pay for this. And the statistics bear it out because after legal aid was taken away, the um, allegations of domestic abuse shot up, you know, to compensate for the lacking revenue that was coming from that legal aid. So in order to... So you need evidence of domestic abuse. So if you've got years of going to the hospital, that could, you know, prove... And if those wounds or whatever were... Or if there's any evidence of financial control or coercion in certain ways, you can evidence this. But what the family court do to get around this if there's no evidence? So just to say... If there's people that are really suffering from domestic abuse and they've got evidence, and even some who might not have evidence but have suffered, there is provisions such as the non-molestation order. 
And I hope those people don't think I'm speaking about them. But here's how the non-molestation order works to in lieu of evidence and how it's abused. You can say whatever you want. Any allegation can open a door to a non-molestation order while the case is going on because of the probability. There is a probability that there's truth here. We have to take this allegation serious. So let's put in this non-molestation order. What's a non-molestation order? It's how they've gagged people and gagged me. So essentially, they're putting a non-molestation order saying, well, while we're finding out whether she's telling the truth, you're not allowed to speak to her. You're not allowed to um, hurt her, obviously, because it's non-molestation order. And again, there's a stigma in that. But here's how it develops with the non-molestation order. Once it's in place, because I said, not bothered, not going to speak to her, not going to harm her, not an issue. But then they start adding clauses to the non-molestation order. Well, it's been adapt, um, um, amended a good few times. For instance, once I tried to get presents to my child on his birthday, he'd asked for these because I had Skype for a little bit, contacts, so I could speak to them. I tried to get a present to him. She said that I was stalking. They didn't follow up because you don't usually stalk with a computer for your, for your son on his birthday. But again, that became a... a, a I, I didn't go to the house. I went to the school. I tried to see him at his school. So then they put in a amendment that I wasn't allowed to go to the school. And it would involve quite a few streets leading up to the school, you know. Then I wasn't allowed an amendment. I wasn't allowed to put pictures up. These were as a result of doing a Facebook post where I mentioned my children. Um, I mentioned what had happened and I also mentioned judges. So they put amendments in to cover all those things. And the judges won and the people involved in the case is how I've really fallen foul of the system in terms of them bringing these prosecutions. So, for instance, me saying my children's name in a video has violated, in their terms, this order. Saying that judges' names has violated the order. Now, why judges' names have to be on an order like this that's supposed to protect someone? One can only say that they do not want their names to be spoken. You know, they don't want certain things that I've got to say to be tied to them. But I've found ways to tie it to them. You know, when I put certain videos up, I don't say their names, but I do show pictures of who they are hmm. in some cases. And I've got audios of them actually breaking the law yeah. on YouTube. Yeah, so, I've seen that. You know, good. I like the way you do it. <laughs> and so they they have questioned me about that stuff, but they dare not <laughs> bring me into a court of law to prosecute me on anything to do with your judges because you're not going to win. It's not going to... Look, look, judges, <laughs> if there's any judges who might be listening, you're not going to win if you bring me into a court because it's like Bob Marley said, I shot the... What is it? I shot the sheriff, but I didn't <laughs> shoot the deputy, yeah? Well, it's similar to that. You're bringing me in and you're prosecuting me for shooting a deputy but I've got goods on the sheriff 
I've got the goods on the sheriff and he's killing more people than I did. That's so, mm. that's why I'm kind of protected. And even the case that they've got, that they're bringing to me now, again, it's foolish because you've questioned me about other videos, but you've not charged me. That makes what they've questioned me about evidence in itself. It might not be used in their case, but it's unused material that I have a right to, to use in my case. So any judges that think their name's not going to be said in the court, they're, they're deluded. And anyway, when I pleaded, I went to court recently to plead not guilty. They raised that concern. They said, well, the judge who was sitting said, um, anyone you name, I will know them. I know all the judges, so this may cause an issue. And we need to hear from you if it's going to cause, if you're going to raise any um, thing about bias or, you know. And I wanted to tell him that I'm not interested in, in that. I want the case to happen here. I would love to have said to him, you're corrupt, just like your other friends in here are corrupt. So it doesn't matter who sits in front or sits on my case. That's what I would have liked to have said to them, but I wanted to actually say, to keep it cordial, I would have liked to say, well, you know, as long as you adhere to your oath, I don't need to worry about bias, do I? You know, and maybe get them to say their oath when it comes to time for me to fight them in the court. So what are the, ch new, the recent charges? You, it's December 2021 is when you're in court next. Yeah, a massive amount of time. December 21. Yeah, think about that for a year. Stew on that for a year. I mean, it's harassing. Just, just that. I know. It's crazy. You've been dealing with it for years now. And yeah. then you've got, oh, next Christmas. Forget this Christmas. But, next Christmas. But you know what? I feel, I feel like it's the final battle this now. I feel like this is the final showdown. Because there have been three times I've been in the court with them. I've annihilated them in court. You know, it's really great, my situation. I've I've even got friends from the jury, you know, who was on the jury when they saw me come in court on Facebook, who have sought me out. One in particular is from Liverpool, and she's a great person. And I really respect her because the thing is this, if it wasn't for her and other people, I would have been in prison because of how corrupt the system is. And that that criminal justice system was saved by normal people on the jury. And it would be beautiful to have people in family courts who are some form of jury. Mm. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's a mess. So what are the, what are the exact charges for, the, for December? Calling, calling two judges' names. Naming two judges. Naming two judges. And also naming my children. That's it? That's it. And, and contacting... The mother of my children. So breaking the molestation order is up. Yeah. That's not now when they say contacting <laughs> the, when they say contacting the mother, out of the blue, her solicitors got in touch with me around um mid September, said they were representing her. And now I've contacted them back and they're saying this is contact. Really and truly though, they've changed the charges three times now. So it's a case of them not knowing exactly what to charge me with, but trying to keep the judge stuff off the table. Now, it's going to be difficult for them. They've charged me with naming two judges in a video. And I think they've done this because there's no actual evidence in this video about the judges. You know. 
So maybe they believe that they've got a system of blocking that evidence, keeping it confined to this particular video, which is called I Want My Children Back. That got removed as well, didn't it? Yeah, but it's back up now. Back up now. Yeah. Why did you name the judges? Why? Yeah. Obviously, we've got the... What was it in the video which you were accusing them of? Burying evidence, that kind of stuff? Fabricating evidence. So they fabricated evidence? Yeah, they fabricated evidence. Um, they've... Um, I'll give you an example. Um, they've allowed lies, people to lie under oath and buried the evidence that would prove that these people have lied under oath. Going back to the report by the psychologist, um, over the period of time when I was um, realising that I didn't have these issues, doctor was telling me I didn't have these issues, and building up the strength to actually go deeper into the report, because like I said, I skimmed it really at first because it was hurtful. As I began to read it properly, reread it, I noticed that there was a different tone in certain um, ways that it was written. You know, the, the the dialect of the way it was written. And I thought, well, some of this sounds like a person and then some of this stuff is speaking in general terms, not actually speaking about me, but in more general terms. And those sections were kind of written in a different way also. Like, different people had written it. So I did some searches, cut and paste, bang it in Google, and all of a sudden, different documents started coming up. Different reports. So this person had taken information from about this five different reports. So I went in on this. I found a just copied and pasted, copied and pasted about other people about stuff you. out the DSM um, reports from America. One of the reports that was um, very heavily plagiarized was a report on um, prisoners, drug addicted prisoners in America, and contact with their children and why it shouldn't be permitted. So she lifted this stuff put it into the report about me and um, I have all, I had all the names and they did all the sources, got all the books, you know, and also broke down the fact that <laughs> the governing body of this psychologist states that, you know, plagiarism is a crime. Got all the laws and stuff. When I questioned her, I destroyed her. She didn't know the, she didn't know the necessary things to do these um, tests on people she didn't have the necessary qualifications so she didn't apply the test in the correct way was this in court yeah questioned her yeah so you did get an opportunity to face the person that oh, yeah. did okay yeah all this stuff I you recorded you were prepared yeah I was and prepared. you recorded it all this is recorded I've got all this stuff this is the stuff I keep going getting locked up for but I'm going to tell you a bit about the recording in a minute um, as soon as I question her on the fact that she's plagiarised the stuff the judge defended her, and when I... So obviously I had prepared to bring this out in a kind of very controlled way, you know, asking her questions one by one, leading questions. I asked her, was you the sole person who wrote this report? She stated yes at the beginning of the cross-examination. Then I took her into other areas, and I brought her back to this idea of, was she the sole author? And when I started to put forward the stuff, she started denying it. And once the judge started trying to move me past this area, I thought, okay, I can't, I can't go with my questions as was to break her down fully. I've just got to bring it out, bring out the guns. So I brought out the, the documents. I said, these are the documents 
that your person has plagiarised. The judge ruled it that she wasn't that she didn't plagiarise. Now this is a criminal activity on the part of the judge. The but, judge. What did the judge say? Like I'm making a ruling. Some snap yeah, ruling. basically said he's, he's 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 ruled on that. He's decided that matter. She's not plagiarised anything. She is a well-respected family court expert. She's worked on hundreds and thousands of cases. So denying the evidence that you are there demonstrating yeah. for the court in front of him. And I've got the evidence. To this day, I've got the evidence. You know, bring me into a court, any court. You know, that's why I don't, I don't really care what they say because I've got the evidence that proves it, everything. In fact, what happened was this. On that final hearing when I was recording these hearings, four-day hearing, I went in with two phones so that, you know, if the battery died on one. And I was so confused as to why these people are not seeing that this guy's got two phones on the on the desk. But it, it was because of their, their desire to get the close, case closed off, boxed off. They thought they could put in place this plan. So when I recorded those recordings afterwards... I reported it to the police. I rang up the police and I said I've committed a crime. It is a crime. Yeah. To record the police, in a yeah. courtroom. Yeah. So I said to the police on the phone, I've made I've done a crime. And they were like, What 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 have you done? What have you done? Is it a body? <laughs> and I said, No. I've um, recorded the family court proceedings, it's a crime. And they were like, Well, I'll check on this. Come back and they said, We're not gonna prosecute but we'll get on to the we'll get on to the family court judge judge singleton oh my god she's a high court judge qc and um she said i didn't speak to the judge obviously but pc bell pc sharon bell of lancashire police spoke to her and she said well i'm not going to prosecute I knew that they wouldn't prosecute. Yeah, I knew this because I'd, I know that if they prosecuted me for contempt, then, as I say, the evidence was there. I served the evidence on judges like Judge Singleton, so they're bearing it too. Um, I served judges in other capacities. I've served the current judge, um, Judge Brown, in my case now, served her. In fact, she told me at the last hearing that she hasn't seen the evidence that I served her with because she doesn't want to be biased. What this really means is that if she admits to seeing the evidence that I've served on them, they'll be complicit in the criminality. But the reason why the family court expert is so important is because that family court expert wasn't an independent expert. She was paid for by the solicitor of the mother and Kafkas, who are representing the children. So both solicitors' team teams pay for that solicitor. Now, if there isn't bias there, mm. but let's go deeper. Those both two solicitors get their barristers from the same chambers, which is Winkley Square in Preston. Now, the reason why I'm breaking down the way it works and the structure is because this work, this is the same. It works everywhere, you know. In fact, the assessment was done at the offices of one of the solicitors. And the reason why I'm saying this and it's important is because that woman, that family court expert, would have been used 
on hundreds, thousands of cases, getting paid from these firms, from the public fund into the into her bank account, and she will give any verdict, any diagnosis they want. Now, I'm not the person who put any money into that psychologist's purse. You know, I'm just a person who was a victim of that system. Mm. When I tried to get an independent person, the person that they sanctioned to give me treatment, they wouldn't have that. Not allowed to challenge that system there because if you... So, if you was to bring down the psychologist by showing that she'd plagiarised stuff, then that would call into question every case that she's been on. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And that's why I've said to people in the past, I can bring this system down in Preston. I can. And i tell you how I can as well. Shortly before this, sometimes when people are fighting for something, yeah, they're fighting their little corner. So they're fighting a little monster. But they do not know that there's other things going on. It's like um, James Bond in his, you know that, what was the first James Bond film with Craig called? Casino Royale. He went and he met that guy with the bad eye thing, innit? The sheaf. He was a criminal. He was a bad guy. But then it turned out he was just an underling. Yeah? There was a bigger boss. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what it's like in a family court. You know, you're fighting this person here, but you don't realise that while you're fighting that person, it's affecting the big boss. You're actually fighting the bigger one. Yeah, and they're thinking, deal with him, take it, you know, get him gone because he's a, he's upsetting the whole thing. So that's what I've been doing. I'm upsetting the whole thing. And the difference between me and a lot of other parents is this: why I'm effective is I've been able to strip away the emotion. You know, a lot of a lot of um, parents fight the system with emotion, and I did originally because it's hard to not get emotion involved when it's your children, but. They're very strategic and they use your emotion against you. They make you look crazy by shouting certain things out and saying, you've been corrupt, you've done this. Um, If I was mentally ill, it would fit perfectly because when I'm talking about you being corrupt, one, paranoid, right? Mm. Narcissistic, wanting attention. So just ignore him. He's narcissistic and he's paranoid. That's how you can explain me away. But then you've got to look at the facts that I'm bringing, the evidence that I'm bringing, and the way I'm presenting it. Yeah? I'm not saying I've got the truth on you. I'm saying bring me into a court of law and I'll prove that I've got the truth on you. I'll prove it. You run the court. You can do what you know. And that's their problem now. They're bringing me into a court and it's not going to go good for them. I'm doing exactly what they don't want. They want, don't want publicity. And they don't understand me. They don't understand the way I work. I work... When they locked me up in prison, they changed me. They made me a lot more powerful, in a sense. Because, again, they want you to react emotionally and break you emotionally. But a prison is a very good um, boot camp for learning how to keep your emotions under wraps. Because if you can keep your emotions under wraps in prison... You become very, very powerful, you know. Um, a lot of people are taken down by their needs, their wants and their emotions in prison, you know. And um, sadly, emotion is a form of weakness in prison, sadly. Mm. Unless, of course, 
you're able to use your emotion to um, speak to the emotions of other people in prison and build them up, yeah? That's when it becomes a strength. So, for instance, when I was in prison, I, I was able to find a lot of allegiance with other prisoners who were in need and um, also prisoners that could see that there's a corrupt system at hand, you know, that's hurting us as much as it's hurting him, you know. So prisoners taught me that these people are very cold. You can't operate with um, emotion. You can't fight them with emotion, but you can fight them with your intellect and you can fight them with evidence because there's one thing that's factual about the police, the CPS, the family courts, the criminal courts. They all break the law, sadly, you know. And it's not good to be enforcing the law when you're breaking it. Bloody hell. So you've been to prison twice over this? Twice. So what do, what, why did they put you in prison the first time? What was this for? First time was for um, a video called... <laughs> It just sounds so silly. Well, and I'm sorry, I know this is a very serious thing, but when you, we're talking about prison, I've just had someone on the podcast who was in prison for smuggling drugs through Thailand. So he's out of his own country, <laughs> he's smuggling drugs, and he was blatantly doing it. And look, I don't even think he should be in prison for that. But, you know, when you then say, well, I had to put a video on the internet, that blows my... Like, people who listen to this from America, like, a lot of American listeners, that will blow their mind. Really? Well, you've got freedom. It's freedom of speech over there. It's it's really? enshrined in the Constitution. Yeah, it's the First Amendment. The Constitution. Yeah, right and does it actually is it actually enforced? It is. It may not be enforced at the lower levels, but the beautiful thing about the United States is you have a the Constitution, which is a list of laws, and you've got the Bill of Rights as well. But um, everything is interpreted by the Constitution. So if you have a lower court, if they put you in prison for what you've done, and then you fight back against it, it will just keep getting bumped up to higher and higher courts till eventually it could get to the Supreme Court and they are the final interpreters of the Constitution. This is why there's such a massive argument about Trump electing three Supreme Court justices because he'll, <laughs> he'll go so yeah. one way against it, right? Um, so that's the beautiful thing about the American system is you can always look at the Constitution and say, mm, what you're doing is unconstitutional. So we don't really have a document like that. We've got the Magna Carta. But it's Magna really Carta, a, isn't it? It's not applied in the same way. No, because they don't want us to apply it in the same way. And I'm looking a lot into that. But, um, so yeah, for anyone here and you've been put in prison for videos, that is so crazy. Yeah. Um, well, I was put on remand and it was for um, a video called War Against Fathers, War on Fathers. And again, at the end of that, there was some audios from the court used. So you put the audio from the court yeah. into your video. Man, yeah. Balls. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they're prosecuting me for names again within the video. So what they've done many times when they charge me, if they've tried to attach it to the mother of my children, so it's for saying or, or, or being heard in the video her name. So they've tried to stay out of it, yeah. So, for instance, they've not charged me for contempt of actually making these recordings, but they've charged me for what's in the recordings. Um, and then the second time it was similar. Now, they did charge me as well for putting posters up in places where I wasn't supposed to be. So, um, you know, they got the CSI and stuff out to to analyse the crime scene. Where what kind posters of posters? Were. Posters promoting my YouTube channel. So, Alibi Truth and Alibi Music TV were on there. And 
that's it. It says father's love, father's war. I want, I wanted my children to be able to see what I was doing. So I put posters all over the place and I still do it now. Um, but they charged me that, that fell. Like vandalism, um, is that, would that be maybe? What they, could they charge you for? Well, the mother of my children tried to get a criminal damage thing going or they did it. They tried criminal damage, but that fell apart because, you know, they said that the windows were broken where the, where the posters were and that I'd stabbed something into the tyre of my, um, the mother of my children's car tyre. All this fell to pieces. There was nothing seen. You know, it was just it was just nonsense. But it did give me... Um, so I was on remand for this stuff. And the, the charges were held like holding charges. And they would pressure me, bring me into court time and time again. This is the first time I got locked up. Trying to make me plead guilty. Didn't plead. Five and a half months it went to trial. I won. Second time, I won. Um, the second time was similar. Again, it was for videos. No, second time it was a, a, a email as well that I'd sent to the University of Central Lancashire saying that I was going to prosecute the mother of my children and the university for excluding me on the basis of the rape allegations. So rather than contacting basically telling them that I was going to sue her at work because I wasn't allowed to contact her. Mm. So I believed it was a pre-action letter. They believed it wasn't. So this was looked at as third-party contact. So by contacting doctors in the university who had then spoken to the mother of my children, this was me contacting her. Um, and this has spawned the whole thing as well. The system seems to be on my case about loads of things. I did a video about this, the, the doctor from UCLan um, who mentioned... She, she put in a statement saying that I'd sent people to the university to harm the mother of my children. Again, I can't get to the source of this stuff, but I just put it out as it is. That's what I say, truth. What I know, I put out. It could be very possible that the police had encouraged this doctor to make this statement. It could be very possible that the mother of my children had done it. Who knows? All I know is that the mother of my children didn't put that in her statements. It was just a doctor. So I, in my video, I just state what I know. There's no conjecture. There's no guessing. I don't say, oh, the police could have put pressure on this doctor to do it. I have no evidence of that. Yeah, you put the, yeah. what you know, yeah. And what I know is that the doctor made a statement saying that I'd sent two people to the university. And it so turned out that these people just worked at the university. It had nothing to do with me. They weren't there to do anything. They were there to listen to a seminar. They'd not done anything. Oh. They'd not been suspicious. They'd not been anything. So you know, we now know who these people are and it turns yeah. out they were just people at the university. Well, they knew this while I was being held in, in prison. Because when you represent yourself, you have to have disclosure. And I caused the system a lot of problems by having the CPS have to deliver me evidence into my cell. The system's not geared for that. So I had a lot of problems in prison because every time I'd say, look, I need this address or I need that, they'd say, speak to your solicitor. I'd say, I'm representing myself, so by law you have to do this. And that was the kind of thing that got me into the human rights angle because, you know, they would also open evidence in prison. And there's laws against that. So, yeah, I got this evidence from the CPS. 
and it threw the case sideways really because the system doesn't really want you as a person to represent yourself it doesn't work in those terms but the law says that you can so I took advantage of that and again more evidence I was able to use against the system such as you know me saying that I reported the um reported myself for recording in the family court well when I was in prison I was able to get that police report that I'd made and see it there you know because all this is unused material and through being in prison I got a lot of information you know that I've been able to use against the system as well because I'm able to verify so when I say oh PC Sharon Bell called Judge Singleton I verify that because I didn't know that at the time when I reported me recording but in latter days I've got the police report that I made Mm. you know and also stuff like that implicates them because that bit of police information states quite clearly that you was contacted by the police and you could have taken legal action against me could you not for recording in the family court but why didn't you yeah (laughs) why didn't you it's here there you go they're the kind of things that takes me out of the realm of making accusations. No, I've got the evidence. I can tie them up for days with evidence. Not, and here's a great thing. The evidence that I use against them, yeah, I've got recordings that I made. But a lot of the evidence that I've got against these people is their, their, their paperwork, their evidence. You know, it's amazing. It's a clever, because you probably wouldn't be able to use the recordings that you made in court. I'm guessing, because they'd say, well, this is an illegal recording, it's inadmissible or something. I don't know. But if you can somehow get them to record it through some other method, then well, you've got well, it. Then well, here's the, the thing. System, right? Here's the thing what I've learned in, in, in legal per- terms. Um, there's a principle called... Um, there's an MG6C. It's a document that records all unused material. And in law, there's disclosure. So when they have a case against me, for instance, um, they have to disclose their evidence that they've got against me in this new case now. I've not seen all the statements. I've not seen anything. I've just gone to court to say not guilty. The CPS have to disclose their evidence, their case that they have against me so that I can defend myself. That's entrenched in law and your human rights. You have the right to see your accuser. But under law, there's also unused material. And um, it states in law that any material that the CPS hold, used or unused, that could strengthen the case of the defendant and weaken our own, must be given to the defendant. Now, many cases have fallen down because they don't disclose. And the system, the way it's set up, when you're arrested, you are charged with something. And you don't get the evidence. But there's corrupt barristers around you encouraging you to go guilty. You can get a third off if you go guilty early. When you've not seen the evidence. What if the CPS don't have any evidence but they're just playing a game to get you to plead guilty? And down the line, they've just bluffed you. It's what happens all the time. So they don't like to disclose. And my point is this. That unused material that they have, they can't stop that from coming into a case. You know, they can't say it's inadmissible. It's been served on you. 
So, for instance, in terms of the um, evidence where I've recorded the court, they might be able to try and say it's inadmissible. But when I was held in a prison cell, in a police cell, sorry, um, in September, I answered no questions. I said nothing to them. But because they have to go through their robotic process, they still came into my cell and said, if you're not taking part, we're going to ask you questions. I faced the wall and didn't say a word, not even my name. But I listened to the questions that they reeled off in the room. And they're thinking that they're fulfilling their procedure. But what are they actually telling me is what evidence they have. Because they've said, oh, you've done a video where you name judges and you produce certain evidence. What do you know about that? I say nothing. Well, I've mentioned there that you've used evidence. When I bring those police officers into the case, into the court, because they have to come to be questioned, I'll say, these questions you asked me, you mentioned video with evidence they can't keep that out of the case it's already in the case right all i need to say to them is what evidence is that and why am i not being prosecuted for that evidence yeah i can assure you the police officer will not know what to say so you didn't say anything at all when you were nothing yeah nothing and um i'd like to say as well that um so Every time I've had interaction with the law, I've tried different things to see what works and what doesn't. So this time when I was going to get arrested, I had a feeling I was going to get arrested. Um, and they came for me. And I'd planned, I've always questioned what what I would what would they would do if I say nothing at all, no words, no interaction, nothing, silence. So when they first arrested me, they asked me who I was. I said nothing. And from then I said nothing. So I'm thinking, okay. They tried everything. You know, they're sending different people to the door. Nice sounding females. Oh, how you doing? Um, would like to chat. I'm not from the police. <laughs> that happened about four times. Got nothing to do with the police. I was just passing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a health worker. I just wanted to see if you're doing okay. Got nothing to do with the police. That went on. I've said nothing for about 22 hours and I'm thinking they can only own me for 24 hours. I need to know about this stuff to do with contracting. A lot of people say when you go in and you give this name and you give that name, you're contracting with them and, you know, so I wanted to see. Well, here's what happens when you don't interact with them after a certain amount of time. They're stripping naked and they force you to interact using, you know, brutality. Even now as I'm speaking here, my thumbs are in pain. Because I didn't want to give fingerprints, so they force you to do that and use violence. So that's what happened. What did they do? Strip me naked and force me. Force me. To just give fingerprints? They give fingerprints and, you know, use brutality because, you know, they twist you up, handcuffs on behind your back. Um, and then, you know, obviously I was resisting, you know, I didn't want to interact with them, but... After a while, I couldn't resist because pain is um, a lot when there's like eight of them on you. So fingerprints, what, how else did they make you interact? Um, well, the fingerprint stuff was to basically get my identity. Yeah. Um, they couldn't make me interact in any other way because I wasn't okay. speaking to them. Yeah. Bloody hell. 
So they will force you to talk in some way, to communicate in some way. Well, they'll force you to interact and assume yeah. and um, presume your, your interaction. So, for instance, when they came into the cell and was asking me those questions, um, they're putting that on, down on their system as an interview that's been conducted. Although you didn't say anything, it's still logged as an interview. And then, as I say, it's usable by me, you know. But yeah, I wanted to find out what was going to be the process and it was important for me to find out, you know, for future reference that if they want to set you up and if they want you to be going through the process, then violence is what they'll use. Um, yeah. A lot of people wouldn't be able to do that, sitting in sitting in a prison cell, in a police cell for 24 hours. I watch a lot of um, interrogation videos online. I've been getting interested in the past year. Oh, yeah, great. So, great. <laughs> it's a channel called, you probably know of it, JCS Psychology, Jim. Very great. Yeah, he's Jim really can't good. swim. Jim can't swim, yeah. He probably yeah. came up with that name and then after a while went, okay, JCS. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, that, that channel's really good because it shows you how they break people during interrogation. They basically yeah. just wanted a confession or to say you're guilty. Yeah. And the people, yeah, they basically just don't want to ever say anything to them, really. There's no real... Because like you said, there's a system there and they just want a conviction from somebody. And really, they don't... They just want the system to... The system needs feeding. Feeding. And you're on the menu and all you can do is help them season you for that dish, (laughs) really. Well, here's the thing, you know. um, I'm targeted because I've been relentless and I've been speaking out on the system. And... What is is um, the the way the system's structured? Now, a lot of people think that it's the higher ups in the system, the elite ones like your Gates and your, the you know, who are the danger ones. But when we speak out about those people, when I make a video about Bill Gates or Zuckerberg and these people, I'm irrelevant to them. I don't shake their world. But these people who are lower down the food chain, like you barristers and you judges, they're local powers. You know, so in a way, they're more dangerous because they don't want people talking about their the system that they've got in place here. They're the ones that make hundreds of thousands, millions a year. You know, they have connections with the police. It's like the university. You know, they're coming at me now wanting me to be... Um, they reported me for harassment yesterday. Well, I was told. And this is because of videos I've made. So that's why I say it's very interesting how you're speaking on videos. It can really rock people's boat. Yeah. Well, people, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, people don't like you speaking about them because it's almost like, I don't know, I suppose you're making an accusation if you're talking about the way somebody's behaving. Um, and yet these are the same people that make accusations and go yeah. and change your life. So a Definitely. judge, someone will get, give a rape accusation, um, completely changes your life. And if you talk about that, well, you're saying something bad about them. I mean, it's, I just, it's well, that's the hypocritical. Pa- Honestly, that's the power one. The rape allegation, yeah. Yeah, that's the was, worst. Was not the worst, but it was one of the first ones that I... You know, it's like using a weapon. Yeah. Somebody's used a weapon on you, and you take that same weapon back and use it on them. Yeah. Well, the rape allegation was used to destroy me, and there's all that stigma with it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's once you say... I mean, it's, once you say the word, all of a sudden the word is associated with you. Yeah, well, I lost friends through that. Yeah. And it affected my life dramatically. 
But when I started speaking out about the false allegations now, because at first the rape allegations, right? Then when I started speaking out and showing that there were false allegations, then the accusers don't want it to be known. They don't want to talk about this. They don't want it to go back into a court because I've, I've tried many times. I said that the, the cases have been built on the mother of my children. So I've really tried to get her to come into a criminal court and say those allegations, knowing what I've got now, the evidence. Um, but the CPS have protected that. They won't let that happen because their cases are built on that person. So if you destroy their credibility in something like that, their cases fall to pieces. And this is going to be the problem they're going to have in the following case. So the way that they stopped me from questioning the mother of my children was by using certain legal premises that, you know, we've been in a relationship and so forth. And we've had a history, so I can't question her. They need to bring somebody in, um, an advocate, which was very important when I was in prison. That's what they did, because they knew that I had no legal representation. So they tried to bring in this person under the guise of that in order to try and get me represented and guide the, you know, the course of the case. But that didn't work. I sacked that person. You know, I don't believe in being represented by any of these people, really. I've got a solicitor at the moment and I've instructed them to do certain things that they've not done. And it's an example of how they don't want to go against mm -hmm. the system. They're a nightmare, those people. They're an absolute nightmare. So this is why you didn't, you didn't want, you wanted to remain in full control of what's happening. Basically. Well, I had to. I had to because that's the only way the truth was going to come out. You know, if there's a, if there's a, if you're speaking about judges and if you're speaking about barristers and you're represented by a solicitor firm in the same area, then you will know those barristers. You will know those judges because, like I say, you are going to the same chambers to get your barristers, you know, and these are, it's a, it's an organisation. Mm. Yeah. All of a sudden you have that, that your representative, they have their own life and their own wants and needs. And if they conflict with yours, I mean, that's just a person that thinks about themselves. You're just someone who's paying them. Yeah. If one of those money only goes so far. And unless you're paying them insane money, then they're not going to upset their own lives. These are just people at the end of the day. Yeah. In terms of um, the criminal cases, then it's legal aid they're getting. You know, it's a money train, the criminal justice system. What I found really shocking was, like I say, I was in prison for a video and I was being treated like, um, like a hardcore criminal. And the more I spoke about the rights of the individuals in prison the more I became a threat. And the second time I was in prison, they actually shipped me out for trying to incite a riot. So that was trying to incite a riot. Incite a riot, why? Yeah. Um, basically for speaking out on, on human rights. The second time, the first time I went into prison, I was confused and my mind was a bit shattered because I couldn't come to terms with being in a prison situation knowing that I'd put a video on YouTube. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, could they really have arrested me for this? Are they really, you know, so my mind was scrambled. I wasn't really accepting the fact that that is an excuse why they're arresting you. The real reason 
is because you're speaking out on them. And nothing you do is going to get you out of this situation until you go to court. So the first time I was locked up, I was making complaints. I was trying to get out of the situation, trying to change the situation, in denial as well. Mm. Now, the second time I got locked up, it was like a repeat process, only I knew why I was being locked up. I knew that nothing I could do was getting me out of there. I was writing to no one. I was just waiting for the time when I'd been caught. So it was a kind of progressing of understanding um, what the system was really about. Um, and it has even progressed even more now because this time it's a case of um, blatantly trying to silence a person. When I went to court on um, the 7th, was it, when I pleaded? I can't remember what day it was. No, the 13th, it was my daughter's birthday. Um, when I pleaded, they were trying to get me to go guilty again, saying, you know, you can get a third off if you plead guilty now. Um, and I don't understand that I actually want them to take me to court. I want them to, you know, to go on trial. Yeah. You know, because, again, I'm coming into the understanding of natural justice. And if a man is fighting for his children... There's also another um, company that I've joined called the Campaign for Truth and Justice. And they've taught me this principle to do with um, human rights and human rights, Article 7.1, where it states that no lawmaker can be a lawbreaker. And these people are taking the judges to court for corruption because they believe that all judges are acting immorally and corruptly, and they are. So it's great to be aligned with them, part of them. And that's exactly what I'm going to use this case for, to show the corruption that's gone on in the family court that has brought me to this place. And they can't stop it, because the law has a provision that states, if the state, the system has done you wrong and you're a victim, then any proceedings that they bring against you, you can use against them. Now, the solicitor that I mentioned, who's supposed to be representing me, I did an affidavit a couple of weeks back, putting out all the evidence that I have against the system, the corrupt judges, the corrupt barristers. I've, I've done this affidavit and I went to another solicitor and swore, as you do, so, an affidavit is a powerful thing. It's basically saying that I'm writing this statement under oath. And if I'm lying in that statement, I can go to prison for seven years just as I, was in a, I would in a Crown Court if I took an oath. So I've basically said to the solicitors, serve it to the judges, and they've not done it. The solicitor hasn't done it? No. I did this before I went to plead on the 13th. I wanted it to hit them with what they're going to be dealing with before I pleaded. So I went to see the solicitor and I said, this needs to be with the judges before tomorrow, the 13th. When I went and spoke to the barrister, I said, have you been able to serve them with the affidavit? They said no. And they told me because it's um, it might not be needed. What they really mean is this. You've taken shots high-level judges and it's my job to protect them and I don't want this to go in it's scary 
I don't really want us to be um, representing anybody that's going to be doing this. I have a career. Yeah, but I'm also in a position where you're my client. What am I going to do? They're going to get sacked at some point if they don't start doing what I tell them, which makes no difference for me because I'm going to represent myself in this anyway. I'm saying this a bit early, you know, because really what I want to do is just keep them on board, do the paperwork and stuff that I would be otherwise last time. I was in prison, getting scraps of paper from wherever, trying to run my case. This time it's different. I'm sat, I've got a firm, even though they're going to get sacked. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so it's chilled out this time. And I got a year. I could go on holiday, (laughs) you know, come back and still win the case. Why do you think they've put it a year? Do you think they've done that? Because <clears throat> when you say it, your, your attitude is very different to what mine would be. I, you know, never been in trouble with the police in any way. And, you know, I'm quite scared of the government and the police. And, and if someone said to me, oh, in a year, that'd be something that I'd be worrying about. But it seems like you're not. I think you've been through the ringers that many times with them that you kind of know what their tricks are. You seem very, pretty well read on the law now. Yeah, I want to fight them, you see. I'm fighting them for my children. I want to fight them and they've, they've created me, you know. When I, All I wanted was to put my children to bed, read them a book or two, take them here and there, you know. That's it. Be Educate them, life. have fun with mm-hmm. them. You know, that's all I wanted. But you see, when I went to the family court, they, they created a monster because the, the first time I went to prison and they denied me bail, like I say, it was horrible. And they kept bringing him into court, wanting me to plead guilty. And I wrote a bail application when I when I got this disclosure from the police because in the first case they said that they found weapons in my home. This was said when they denied me bail. I'll answer the other. You asked another question. They said that I found weapons in my home, and then when I was able to get the police statement, it stated that there were kitchen knives in the kitchen, mm-hmm. right? So I wrote to the judge, bail application. This has changed. You can prove that. I wasn't, didn't have weapons all about it. It read like this. The statement read like this. Mr. Dowie was aware, was aware we were coming and there was weapons all over the place. That's what it read like. Oh so God. anybody reading that would thought, oh, we knew they were coming. Let me get these guns out. Prepare. Yeah. That's what it read like. So when I went back to the judge and said, this is... Um, it's a fabrication on the police's part. It was kitchen knives that were in the kitchen. Um, I thought, I was shocked when they came for me one day after doing this application and they were taking me to court. And I was like, wow, I've done an application to the court. This is massive. I did it in from myself. And they're bringing me, you know, that means I'm getting out. Going to court by video link. Didn't leave the prison, but it was by video link. Um... And I said, look, the, the police have changed this to make it look like there's weapons in the place when it's just an average kitchen utensil. And he said, there's no change in circumstances. I felt like crying at that moment. And I think the only reason why I didn't hold, why I held back the tears, I, I, almost, I almost begged him. But like, as I say, when it was from prison. But when you're in this room in prison, it is court. You're in court. That's what they say to you. It's by video link, but 
that's court property, yeah, in that room. And I'm there with a couple of screws, prison officers, and it was my it was my prison persona that stopped me from from crying because I couldn't let these officers see any tears, like I say, couldn't show emotion. I'm going back onto the wing. But it also made me think I will never ever ask one of these judges for anything again. And over a period of time of being brought back and forth from prison, either to the court building or by video link over this five-month period, <clears throat> it started to strip me of the fear of, because you said, you know, you would be a fear of, of, of this system. It started to strip me of the fear of these judges and that incident as well. And by the time I got to court, I was able to tell the judge to his face that it was corrupt. Now, the second time I was in in court, in, in prison, um, I actually used it and waited for the judge, for the jury to come out before I told the judge that he was absolutely corrupt and it was his system that stole my children. And when I said this, it was like, take the jury out, get him back downstairs. And um, I remember seeing the jury walking out, yeah, looking pretty terrified, like, who is this guy? What is this guy? So for me to turn that around and actually win the case, it was, because um, I gave up on winning the case, to be honest, the second time. I gave up on it because I'd seen so much corruption that I thought, there's no way I'm going to win this. The most important thing is to just tell the truth, you know, and see what the jury make of it. So for them to see me being dragged back down and them being ushered out because I've kicked off at the judge, for them to turn around and find me not guilty is why I love the jury and it's a powerful thing. But yeah, I'm not afraid of the system anymore. I'm not afraid of the police. I'm not afraid of the judges. I'll, I'll tell them to the face that they're corrupt because it's them who have stripped away that fear of them. You know, in the criminal court, having dealt with the family court, I still had a, had a um, I still was quite innocent to the fact that I thought the family court are corrupt because they're secret and the criminal courts are not corrupt because it's open and they have, you know, they adhere to the law. But they don't, they're just as corrupt even if not more corrupt. So, yeah, I don't think we can afford to be afraid of them because they operate on that fear, mm. you know. Now, I think you, you should be right, fearful about getting into um, legal problems that you haven't really created or, you know. But like I said, I didn't create any of this. I didn't want to be um, embroiled in law. And because I'm, because it's my children that are at the heart of this, then I must, I have to be fearless because as we dig into this system of family courts and judges, we're finding very negative stuff, horror stories to do with forced adoptions, to do with paedophilia, to do with um, killings of ch children, children going missing. We're dealing with all this stuff and we're dealing with a legal system and a law system that's facilitating it all. Mm. And, you know, when I speak like this, it gets a bit conspiracy theory sounding, but I'd like people to understand that in this system, we've had high level 
um, insights into very dark corruption, you know, such as Savile. Now, it's important because it was at the heart of society, not because when we talk about um, paedophilia and um, negative things happening to children, we try to picture it, you know, in little dingy places in society out, out here and there, and, you know, it's hidden people on the internet doing things in, in darkness, but Savile is the system, you know, plugged into the prison systems, the healthcare systems, the children homes, the broadcasting, you know, and that's plugged into many areas of the system. So when this happens and the system still hasn't addressed it, we must ask certain questions about how is this facilitated? And a lot of the times you're gonna come back to the law and judges. So yeah, that's why I'm at their neck. And that's why I don't really care. I'm not afraid of them because ultimately they're human beings who are violating the law and then destroying families in the process. Yeah. It's awesome. I'm, yeah, I think you, 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 like you said, you become, after you go through it a few times, you lose your fear of it. And I like that you've, I like that you're fighting it. It's good. You need people like you who are actually out there brave people who are out there fighting for this stuff because it's just a monolith it's huge it's huge it's and you, you know you can think well i'm just one person but then yeah but that's all it takes sometimes and I, I imagine you've had plenty of people reach out through your videos who have been through similar stuff or going through smaller things like you've met people in groups who have been through crazy stuff that it seemed like at the time but then yours is, sounds like some of your stuff has surpassed i mean it's a system that has so much money and so many people's livelihoods built around that system running mm-hmm. that of course there's going to be a bunch of victims and it's you know people are all too ready to talk about the problems with capitalism and you know you have this company and they don't care about environmental issues because it's all about profit well yeah you have to look at every powerful institution be it a you know the government the crown companies you know anything like that and you have to say well bad actors can get into these uh, institutions and cause damage, but also the institution in and of itself is set up after a while just to cause damage. It's just, just a byproduct. Damage. It's just a byproduct. Of yeah. This is it. why I'm not, you know, certain people say to me now, after being in prison, certain campaigners, because I've met a lot of people and people do reach out and there's some beautiful people, you know, it's a, that, that, all that, that side of stuff is a real blessing, you know. To think that I've told my story and then it's related to other people and then other people have come to me with similar or worse stories, you know. Um, it's a byproduct of, um, when I say the system is, is flawed, it's a byproduct of people's um, negative agendas. But the system now is. Oh, sorry, that's what I was saying. Other campaigners have said to me that I've lost the faith in changing the system. Yeah, because they they think that after I've been to prison, I'm not really campaigning in a way. I'm just making YouTube videos. Um, I'm not um, campaigning. But I've lost um, the belief that this system can change for the better. And it's to some people, that will seem negative. But it's only because... Um, 
certain systems can't be fixed. Mm. You know, there's a Sir James Mumby, who used to be the head of the family division, and I mentioned him in my latest video because for a long time I've seen a lot of statements that he's made that have empowered me, and it empowers a lot of people because he's a, a judge, a high-level judge, and he's been speaking out on the negative stuff to do with the family court system. But what I've recently realised is this. He's just a mouthpiece for nonsense because his legacy, he doesn't. he's not the head anymore, and it's still the same system. So for all the good statements that he spoke about, it made no difference. So I have no respect for him. I don't care if he's got things entrenched in law where it sounds good when you read it out because the system is fundamentally the same. And the reason why it's the same is because he doesn't have the bottle to change it because they're all getting paid off it. They're all... They're, they're, everybody involved in the system has come up through that system. And there's an ideology that you must get, in, get involved with something from the inside and I'll work and then I'll change it from the inside. No, it doesn't happen. You get swallowed up by it and you become it because if you don't become that system, the system will kick you out. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, Like government. Same yeah. Thing. Get involved, get politically active. That's how you change things. You're like, Is that how I change things or is that how I become less of a problem for you? Hmm. You can't change something that's built on corruption. This is the thing. You can't because... How how would you how would you fix something that's built on corruption? See, coming back to the whole Savile thing, um, and I just want to say, the family court ex exploits children by saying that we must be secret in order to protect the identities of children and so that it doesn't affect them. But you're building your secrecy on the backs of innocence, and you're using the secrecy to do evil things. Yeah, so it's a, it's a even more darker evil because you're building that evil on the innocence of children. In terms of Savile, they can't address all that because it will expose a can of worms that would implicate many people in darkness. Now, They like us to believe that they've changed and addressed stuff. But they haven't. So the system can't change if you're just covering over the darkness and saying, well, let's move on now. You know, it's all come to light. Let's move on. Yeah, that's not fixing it. That's just a problem coming to light, isn't it? Yeah, it's a problem coming to light. It's not getting rid of Jimmy Savile. It's what gave him the cover and the opportunity and I mean looking back at it it's like of course how could you I mean he's, there's pictures of him where you're like oh that literally the picture of him is what you call a pedophile I mean it's crazy just a picture isn't it just, picture just look face. like a devil or something yeah and you think to yourself how did no but one he was he was a big star yeah you know yeah <laughs> it's mad um I've heard you talk about and you mentioned them today Kafkas yeah um, what's that stand for? Children, advisory, family, court, some I don't know. Some legal, yeah. yeah. Some, but so they they and they represent the needs of the children. Yeah, to the they're supposed court, to. Yeah, supposedly they're supposed to advise the courts on them 
on the children. But in many cases, what they do is they break up families too, and they're very destructive. And um, it's a company. Yeah. Okay. How how they're structured, I'm not sure. So it's a company which has been, which has got a government contract. To, yeah. So and they're unaccountable. Most of these issues. Yeah. With, with most of the, most problems is that as soon as you get funding, and then there's a the state needs has decreed that this is a problem, all of a sudden money gets taken from people by taxation and a cottage industry brick comes up around it. Yeah. And then you have a company that comes in, generally a shit company, because all they have to do is convince a bureaucrat that they're the company to do it. They don't have to be a good company like Apple who says, hey, we'll keep making good products year after year. I know Apple has their own problems, but they just need to convince one or 10 bureaucrats that they do the job well. And then it's a funding circle jerk till the end of time, basically. Yeah. So that's how you get companies like that, which are, I mean, I've worked at university, so I've seen how it works. Yeah. Um, so you've, you've been quite vocal against Kafka's. Yeah, because they're, um, they're a, a disgusting company. They're, I don't even know if the right word is company. Organization. Organization, they're on yeah. account. They're unaccountable. And I'm going to give you an example exactly. of how they're unaccountable. And this is, just quickly, that's the mistake that most people make when you talk about privatization well we wouldn't want to get a private company to do something Mm. because look at what happened well there's having a company where people can choose to go to that company and then they can take their money away but when it's a company employed by the government that's just an arm of the government that's all it is it's not a company if the government currently currently said apple makes all the phones for everyone in the uk because we need track and trace no other company is allowed to make phones do you think apple will be as competitive as if they (laughs) currently have to get customers because they have to do a good job no all of a sudden, they've got the gravy chain from the government. So you're right. It's not a company. It's no. just an arm of the government. Well, I'm going to prove that. You know why? Because I tried to take them to court, and I'm not giving up. Um, I tried to take them to the high court, Queen's Bench, did the application. Application's running. And I get um, this is when I'm locked up as well. A lot of things that I was trying to put in place before I was locked up seemed to, the trains to take advantage of the fact that I was locked up and, you know, try and bring it to an end. So I got information from a judge in regard to the action I tried to bring against Kafka, stating that it's been struck out of court and it appears to be a collateral effect, uh, I'm sorry, and a collateral attack on the family court system. Now, it's interesting because the judge is basically saying that me attacking Kafka is attacking the family court. They're not supposed to be one and the same, but it's an example of how a judge who has taken an oath, yeah, to implement justice for all, is actually protecting Kafkas. So are Kafkas paying the judges? They are paying the judges. They're putting food in the judges ta- on the table of the judges, and so a judge is basically acting like a paid clerk of the court. That's what they're doing, you know. What verdict do you want, Kafkas? You know, this happens outside the courtroom, in the little rooms before, and then the parent is thinking, well, I've got a chance of getting my son back, or I've got a chance of, you know, it looks good for me. But no, it doesn't, because they've already decided that you're not going to see your child, or your child's going to get adopted, you know, or your child's going to be sent into this home, or with those people. Yeah, the court proceeding is just a circus to justify what they've already decided beforehand. Mm. 
Yeah, I I I um I really can't speak out about Kafka strongly enough. You know, they're protected and they destroy families and the worst thing that they do is that they do not um look after the well being of the children and do not think about the thoughts, feelings and needs of the children. And I said that I've focused a lot lately on um children's rights. Um if you put these rights to Kafkas, they're not going to adhere to them. And again, that's criminality because you're violating the human rights of children. There's nothing worse than a, a, a company which is paid by the government and has a government contract. That's where you'll find most of these, these issues. It's, ugh, it's a sick idea, isn't it? It is disgusting. Yeah. Well, check this out. The solicitors, the latest solicitors that have come on board to um, represent the mother of my children... Because I've got evidence that she had been lying, false allegations that she'd done for a long time, again, under the um, legal process of disclosure from the police. When these new solicitors turned up saying that she'd got legal aid, I thought, well, no. So I went to the legal aid agency and I said, look, I want to make a complaint and I've got the evidence to prove that her allegations of rape and stuff were false. She can't get legal aid again with these allegate with this information, and they said that there was no problem, and I was confused. I'm thinking they can't do it. There's proof that there's false allegations. So she got legal aid. It's gone along. I did my research, and it so turns out that these um, solicitors, like this new one, Watson Ramsbottom, they franchise legal aid services. You can put a tender to the government to basically become a legal aid provider. Yeah? So they don't need to take evidence to the legal aid agency anymore. They can just write the certificate now. That is corruption again. Ambulance chasers. It's no, terrible. It is bad. You know? And without people, it's just something that you'd, I mean, you. This wasn't your life. No. It became your life. And yeah. before that, you were, it, I mean, before this conversation, I was ignorant to all of this. I knew the kind of stuff because I know about the incentives mm -hmm. and I'm, you know, pretty anti government in general. Um, but when you, God, you just, everyone just thinks, oh, no, that's the court system. This is the thing that's handled for me. They're the experts. They've got it right. And then when they get into it, I mean, you know, you get started, I'm sure you've been called conspiracy theorists plenty of times, <laughs> um, even though you're becoming an expert in this stuff. It's when, when you let the government do something for you, the government will look after the poor, will tax you and will look after the poor. Why would you care about the poor? You don't need to. The government's already doing it for you. I'm sure they're doing a good job. And do you know what? They're taking my money by force and I don't like paying these taxes. So actually, I've, I've got a bit of resentment for the poor. Maybe I won't help my fellow man the second that you take that away all of a sudden we have to be a community otherwise no one's looking after the poor true um and i feel like it's the same with you know obviously that isn't you can't apply that universally i'm not saying therefore let's get rid of the government but this stuff applies to the legal side of things if you assume that someone else is handling it then why would you even want to look into it you know mm. i'm not going to do anything bad so yeah, only bad people should have to worry about that. But when you find that it's just ordinary people who are literally just trying to see their children, you're just trying to see your children. 
Yeah. What more natural thing can you have? Literally, the only reason we're here is to have children. That's it. That's every life form on this planet. It's crazy. Well, for me, that natural desire of wanting to see your children is um, exploited by the system because they must know. I've said this, I don't know when I said it recently, but when a mother loses a child, the system looks into it and they'll say, you know, because there's been a lot of documented cases where where mothers who lose a child will actually steal a child. And this is well documented. And the system, when women do this, might snatch a child. We're looking to the circumstances and see that they have a kind of temporary insanity issue going on with that, you know. But when a father loses a child, that natural urge to want to get back with your child is exploited. Because I'm sure my desire to see my children is the the guilty part of my personality because I know that if I didn't desire to want to be with my children, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have ended up in prison really, you know, because a lot of people have said to me, you know, just leave it. They'll come and find you when they're older or, you know, just leave it. Don't, don't, you're not going to get yourself in trouble. But I think part of being a father and part of being a man is expressing that um, protective, um, nurturing side that you that is triggered when you become a father, because in terms of my little girl, because um, she was the first, she changed me as a person. Do you know what I mean? The from the very first night I saw her in this world, you know, after she'd been born. I made a, a promise to her that I would never leave her. And um, so I broke that promise, really. Not, I didn't choose to break the promise, but I did break the promise. So that natural desire and natural instinct to protect her and to um, nurture both of them was inspired by her, actually. You know, she was the one that triggered that in me. Mm. So when that's born in you then, you're supposed to express that to the children. Now, that natural desire is exploited by the system because they know that fathers are going to want to try and see their children. So they're basically criminalising a natural instinct. instinct, And it's destructive. It's disgusting. And I know that they know they're doing this because they're very clever people. They know about human behaviour. They know how we... we interact and react to certain stimulus or you know when things are taken away also the knob will react so it's natural for me to react in this way but what the system wants us to do seemingly is to be abused by it be destroyed by it and then just be happy with that you know mm-hmm. just walk listen your children have been taken chill out get on with what you need to get on with even if you want to take your life, it's not an issue. Just don't do it in a messy way. Don't let it come back on us. But we're finished with you now. You need to remove yourself. That's really the attitude of the system. We've fed on you. We've chewed you up and spat you out. Now listen, let's not see you again. 
right? So that's only working with a few people. It's not working with me and there's a lot of other people, you know, it's not working with, especially now. You can understand, I mean, why does the state side with the mother? That's the real interesting question here because people are complicated and men and women can be as good or as evil as each other. There's not no split down the middle. Uh, and human beings, you can't even call one human being good or evil. We just do different things, right? Yeah. Um, can't be defined by all your acts, one act, etc. So why does the state side with women so much in in the West? Well, here's the thing. Obviously, there's women, mothers that have suffered my, from the system. I, I speak to a lot of them. Mm. And that's why I'm I'm less in that mindset where it's fathers who are only the ones suffering. Because I used to be in that mindset originally. That's why, you know, it changed. And I do know that there is a lot of mothers who suffer in the same way. Mm. But why does the system... By and large, it's yeah. men, though, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot. of course, there's a lot examples because, uh, that, like you're saying, that's the systematic stuff, and it sides with the mothers because I believe this, um, and this might be an unpopular way of looking at stuff, but I believe in 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 an ideal functioning family. Then it has roles, and traditionally, a man would be the protector. Now, if the state can usurp that man's role and become the protector of the woman, then that person, the man, is emasculated, um, dehumanised and dethroned as a father, so to speak. It breaks down the family unit. It puts the woman in a position where she is... um, in a, in a kind of vulnerable in a sense. And if you look at it, a lot of the um, women that are, for instance, in my case, she's actually putting forward this idea of vulnerability and needing to be protected by the state against me. That's the ideology that she's putting forward. But she can only put that ideology forward if there's children involved. Because... Ultimately, I don't want anything from her as a person. I don't really want a relationship with her. I don't have any desire to get to her or be with her if it wasn't for those two children. So again, that principle of wanting to protect your children is annihilated by empowering the mother and... um, putting the mother in a central figure where she's both father and mother. Um, and I think to a large degree as well, which might not, might not be, might be unpopular, there seems to be a feminist structure that's prevalent in stuff at the moment. It's not really a feminism that is um, based on wanting equality though. It seems to be a feminism that's based on the um, extinction of the male for some reason. Hmm. I'm not sure why this is, but I think it manifests in some forms of the ideology of toxic masculinity, Hmm. where um, normal male behaviour, normal behaviour from boys, little boys that is manifested, is looked at as some kind of toxic stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah. This has been happening in the West for quite some time. Yeah, it is. Um, if you look at the way... Um, fathers interact with their children a lot of times, it can be looked at as um, dangerous or aggressive. Um, play fighting, throwing... I used to throw my children really high and catch them. Yeah. <laughs> my dad used to do that. Yeah, and they, they were exhilarated and it's... Oh! And they do it over and over and over again. Um, it, it speaks to the fundamental differences of how mothers and fathers parent. And I think sometimes without that balance of that kind of... What, what happens when you do that with a child from a man's point of view? You teach the child how to trust in a sense, you know? And... Um, it teaches a child about protection because it's putting a child in a kind of dangerous situation, but also saying, I'm protecting you here. Mm. I'm, I'm, um, and you have to trust me in that, you know, um, it's a way of letting the child explore stuff as well. Whereas I think mother's ways of, of parenting can be sometimes overprotective. And especially when they're in a situation where, like my situation now, the last thing the mother was trying to do, and uh, it sounds like I'm objectifying someone a lot to call them a mother and not their name, but I didn't want to do that originally. I wanted to say who this person was in all situations, but it became a a, a thing where I'd say Mrs. This and she'd say Mr. But... The reason why I say mother is because that is what she is. She's not really my ex. I don't look at her in that context, you know. I look at her as the mother of my children. Um, the last thing that she wanted to do was get a order that if I saw my children about and I said hello to them, it would be criminalised. Now, I have to look at the psychology of somebody that would do that. And again, it seems to be this kind of idea idea that the children are separate to her. They are part of her identity. And because she wants to block me from her life, she thinks it's positive to block me from the children's life. Again, this is a kind of parenting that doesn't allow your children to have an identity of their own. And um, I think that's very, very... Um, I think that speaks to the more negative aspects in the female psychology, you know. Again, it's not all women, but it's some. And definitely, it is enforced by the system in that way. For instance, we have a, a ideology called the Duluth method of um, domestic violence. And this ideology is basically saying that all women are victims and all men are perpetrators of violence. But if we look at the actual statistics, there's a lot of women that also perpetrate violence, not only to men, but also to children. I think that only when we start looking at these issues will we see a more um, balanced view of mothers and fathers in the system. But again, I'm not about changing a system that is intrinsically wrong.
the state has kind of stepped in because men and women are clearly different, mm-hmm. um, which is a controversial thing to say nowadays, but crazy. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't want to judge a man or a woman based on their group characteristics because everyone's an individual. And the differences between individuals are greater than the differences between groups. But there, there are differences in... I mean, a woman grows the child within her and feeds them from her breast. That's just a different experience to what a man has. Now, yeah. doesn't mean that it's a better or worse experience. It's just a different experience. So that alone means the way that a father will interact with a child will be different from the way a mother interacts with a child. You don't need to say anything more about men and women. That's a universe. That's an infinity of difference. So to say that one way is the right way, one way is the wrong way, uh, but do you we don't know, need one way is, is What you said there, yeah, I've recently seen that some feminists would look, that, look at what oh, you said is sexist. Well, it's crazy, though. Yeah, because what you've actually said is that um, men are viewing women as a, a child raising and a child producing well, object are. yeah yeah but no but that, that's a mischaracterization <laughs> that's what they'd say but that's a mischaracterization of what i've said yeah i said that women uh get pregnant and have children and yeah. that is a different experience to what men have yeah. that isn't the only experience they have they can mischaracterize me and say i'm putting them in a box i mean it's hilarious with these people yeah. because they're the people that say there are no differences between men and women there are no differences between groups and yet they advocate for um they advocate for laws and policies which basically could only be there if you admit there are differences <laughs> between men and women. Yeah. It's like you said in your – it's like tokenism in um, in any organization. We need 50% black representation. Why? I thought all people were the same. If all people are the same, then why do we need to get more white people in? Are we saying they're different? You can't have it both ways. True. I've got no issue with being a person of colour. I've got no issue with anyone working any job as long as they are um, fit for the job. But saying yeah. that we need somebody in, how can the same people who say there are no differences between men and women, therefore we need more women in roles, at the same time say, well, we need a woman's view in a role. Well, a woman's view is exactly the same as a man, isn't it? They completely <laughs> contradict themselves. And All really- the time. And yeah. it's painting them into a, into a really negative area. But I'm really concerned about the effects it's having on boys, though. Oh, it's horrendous! You know what I mean? The stuff that's happening to boys, and um, it's it's you are now you and I are now entering a an area where we can be completely dismissed because we're even talking about boys' issues. I mean, it's crazy, but the a, effect is massive. Yeah, it's huge. There's a commercial, and I'm gonna have to seek it out and maybe do something on it. Where um, you're seeing a lot of boys saying, um, "It's my time of month." Yeah, that's commercial. On television? Yeah. I don't know if it's from this, this the UK or whatever. I've seen it and I'm going to find it. But they're saying, you know, oh, it's my time of month. And, you know, seeing a few people doing it. And the premise of this commercial is to say, only until men understand what it's like to have a time of month will there be equality. And it's really, if in this commercial, it's really feminising the mass, the male, you know, and saying that only by becoming feminine in a sense and adopting something that you can't really adopt and you can't really understand, will you understand, you know? So at the same time as normal male behaviour becoming, um, it works another way as well. You know, in a family court, 
if you show emotion, like I say, it's looked at as negative. But it's only really looked at as negative coming from a man, mm. as a father, to say that you love your child or, you know, these things are not looked at in a good light. And why would that be? You know, again, what is it about? I don't. I just don't believe that they want. Um, they want men, real men, to um, have an input and to raise children in this society. I personally don't. Well, why would they? What's their incentive? Like you said, family courts alone. If men, if you have a healthy family, the family court doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Uh, that's just a fact. Um, if you have a healthy relationship, the welfare state is less likely to exist. Certainly at the time, if you've got uh, two people in a household, one of them can work. Maybe both of them can work part part time. Likelihood of both of them needing to work. I suppose it's getting worse because of how bad the currency is. But certainly, parents' generation, you didn't need two people working. You just needed one. The second you get rid of the man, all of a sudden you have a need for the state. All of a sudden you have a need for the state. Yeah. Yeah, and every organization is filled with people. People care, uh, operate in their own self-interest. So if we can't trust big companies, why can we trust big governments? I mean, it all. I, I, this is when people say, "I don't, I don't trust government uh, companies, but I trust governments." Or the other way around. I'm like, Ugh. except with companies, at least I can opt out. Whereas with the government, I can't. So yeah, I the the destruction of the family in the West has been massive. The government has replaced the father in the home just has and it's a self-perpetuating thing because if you come from a single parent family you're more likely to have issues in life should we say across the board and even that is a problematic thing to say now what's wrong with a single parent family why couldn't a mother by herself be a man and a woman and everything that's because we're all people and yeah well, that's the video that I got arrested first was War on Fathers. That was the one where I mentioned stuff to do with, um, you know, there's a few commercials that I analysed where they were talking about um, Mother's Day and my mother did this. She was the father and the mother and, you know. And it was basically talking about the mother, 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 but putting it on Father's Day. And this whole idea of Father's Day just being something that anybody can opt into hmm. you know so it needs to be got rid of again it's very um, destructive it yeah. is there's a, a yin and yang as well between the play I mean look at look at all animals on the planet you have like it or not the woman gets pregnant and she pretty much can't hunt or until air conditioning she couldn't really work for nine months so what's going to happen we're just going to save I mean when we were hunter gatherers we were a roaming tribe so literally the man had to hunt there's a there's a reason for it and this is this is why men are much physically stronger than women this is just over a quarter of a billion years these differences and to deny those differences you're denying <clears throat> you're denying nature which you yeah you're not going to do well long term and the beautiful thing about this new third or fourth wave feminism thing which is it fourth now Wins. i'm not sure third, i hear third and fourth quite a lot <laughs> who knows i'm not sure how to define the waves but um the beautiful thing about it is that because they don't have any real principles that they stick to they clash with themselves so you have and they, they eat themselves so you have the trans movement 
clashing with the feminist movement now because forever the feminists have been saying there's no female brain, there's no male brain, we're all the same. But then trans uh, men or women saying, I have a female brain when I'm a man. <laughs> Uh, and they can clash because there's a fundamental clash there. So they should be advocates for more equal they rights. They should be, shouldn't they? But they're not. So all they do is alienate themselves further and further. The thing is, they've somehow got into the state, and it seems to be through the universities that that's happened. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how to turn it around. The internet is helping, though. Um, you and I wouldn't be speaking if it wasn't for the internet. See, the trans thing is just um, confusing to me now. You know, not not because... I have much interaction with trans people because I don't really meet that many. I mean, how many people do you meet who are in the trans? A, a handful, but that's one of work in Toronto and it's kind of more prevalent. very, very New York. It's there. People are very more outgoing with that stuff, but only a handful. <clears throat> right. People, when I, people when are I... doing stand-up as well, so they're not the norm. We're not normal people who do stand-up comedy. Like, mm. Well, when, when I see how such a small percentage of people are affecting the way everybody's supposed to live. It doesn't make sense to me because, you know, like when you're telling ch- children that boys and girls don't exist anymore, a boy and a girl doesn't exist. Well, I don't understand that because, you know, just the way my children were naturally, they defined, I- I'm sure I didn't make my boy, <laughs> a boy, okay, biologically, but the way he is, I didn't do that, so and my little girl, it's a, it's a biological thing. There's biological markers, there's, you know, and yeah, the idea that we was putting forward a minute ago about you being trapped in a, one thing being trapped in another thing. Again, if somebody believes this, then definitely they have the right to do that, and they have the right to live in that way. But then to roll it out and say there's no boys there's no girls it's causing a lot of issues isn't it yeah and it's coming through the feminization of society i find because you know we have to say this is normal otherwise it's abnormal and that would hurt someone's feelings and we don't mm. want to hurt someone's feelings which is a very feminine thing really yeah it is it is um, it's not so. a masculine thing it's generally people will say stuff about you but as long as you know it not to be true then it says more about them now women say this as well men uh, also have their feelings hurt um which is you know, nothing is cut and dry like that, but it, it does seem to be. I mean, you just look at every teacher you have in school. It's like, you know, you, you, you're born and it may be a doctor, but it's nurses, female nurses, female teachers, um, the dad's at work. So you're raised by, you're basically raised by women, especially when it's single mothers. Yeah. Single mothers only mix with single mothers because single mothers are a threat to um, a proper family, a, a a two-parent family. So this is you, why I worry. people raised by women, yeah, this, I is worry. What you, this is what we get. Uh, I worry about how boys are going to turn out. Yeah. This is just the way. Find me a tribe where, you know, it, where the women are in charge. It just won't happen. Now, obviously, we're not living in tribes, but there's a reason why. And it's because men are not averse to danger. Um, men will do the thing, like throw their ch- children up and catch them because of the lesson it can teach them, because of the bond it will form. Mm. That's not. A, a, that's not... There are positives and negatives to both, and you need them both. They're both as important 
and one has been pushed out. Just so if women were getting pushed out, it'd be as big a tragedy as if men getting pushed out. It's 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 terrifying. And when I spoke to you about this, well, could 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 men push women out though? Because there's a thing. It it kind of comes to you know, you know the abortion thing. Yeah. Yeah. Where women say it's my body, my choice. Right. Okay. No problem with that. But then you have two other entities involved in that scenario. You have the father and you have the child. And in that scenario, the question must be asked, is there any rights involved with those two other entities? Is there or is there none? You can't even talk about this anymore. You're not allowed to speak about this. You're not allowed to. No, no, no. don't even talk about it. And what a great, you know, you don't have an argument. If you're not letting me speak, then you don't have an argument as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, I mean, my body, my choice is crazy because what comes out of your body? Another body. Another real so, human. Yeah. But because it's that attitude there, you have to change the, the definition of human then. Yeah. Because you can't have a human being worth the same thing as the person making the decision, saying it's my body, my choice. Now you have value. You have humanity there just by the fact that you've been given a choice and it's your body, yeah? And nothing should infringe on your freedom. So in a sense, you have to say that the thing within you, the human, is not a human. And that's what is being pr- proposed, isn't it? Yeah, especially in America. Yeah. they've Because, I mean, everyone's... For me, it's you can do whatever you want with your own body, but has to be done in a hospital and if that baby can survive outside the womb then it's getting survived and put into given i mean i know that whole system it must be a fucking mess as well i can't imagine (laughs) i cannot imagine how bad the foster adoption it must be a mess but um it's a messy situation isn't it it's yeah you can do whatever you want with your body but at some point we all draw a line somewhere saying that this is a human being with just as much right as you. But there are people now who say we shouldn't even have this conversation. It's literally no. during birth it I'll can happen. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, because we're two men, it would be a case of you don't have a say because... I'm not, I'm a woman. <laughs> well, all we need to do is say, what you need to is play their game. I'm a and masculine, then you can have a say. I'm a masculine, what was it? I am a masculine presenting pre-op transgender les- uh, lesbian so I'm into women I look like a man I present like a man but deep down I'm a woman and I'm not going to have the operation therefore I can get pregnant <laughs> it's the only way you just have to play look so what you're doing with the courts you have to play their game against them because the yeah. second you say this all of a sudden you're in their rules and they have to be your advocate or they have to say <laughs> no you're not and you're like prove it prove. because the second you do that that's my weapon against the rest of you like <laughs> mental people so they don't have principles at heart, but the law gives them power. Yeah. I'm kind of fearful for the system, though. I'm kind of fearful for the future of the system because unless people kind of wake up to what's happening in, in all these areas, because we can actually, you know, without we're redefining what it means to be human in many ways. In many ways, we're redefining it. And what kind of society we're going to have in the future where you can just define anything as being anything. You can... Life won't be very valuable. See, I'm very against a lot of this stuff. Denying reality, it bothers me. 
and I'm massively against it. So what would you what do we mean when you say brother reality? Um, Denying reality. There are no differences between men and women, really. Then I'll try and feed a child from my breast, and we'll see which child dies first. Uh, <laughs> we'll see who can get pregnant first. I just start there. <laughs> um, but I know you're a fan of the Matrix. Yeah. What has happened over the past twenty years? We're getting further and further into machines, further and further. Um, well, I used the Matrix in one of the in the Mark Zuckerberg um, one, and you know, a little bit into the past, if people had used stuff like the Matrix and said this is like reality, you would have been freaky, you know, like, oh, you're a nutter, or you know, whatever. That's a, that's a movie. Yeah, that's a movie. Yeah. But a lot of people have always seen the parallels. But in terms of technology now, what what people tend to do is look at certain things. Like there's a scene in The Matrix where you see the babies and being taken out by machines and they're no longer um, born, they're, they're harvested. Um, well, there is a harvest going on. And in terms of... So you look at that and you, you, it looks very futuristic and... To the, to the point of impossibility. But if you look at it as an analogy for what's happening in the world, then identity and the value of a human is changing. Um, and the, the way we're getting connected is changing. Just the way we're being connected changes our value. So... It's so prevalent now, that film, with what's happening in terms of the technology and nothing else. Because the technology, for instance, in that same video, I talked about Bill Gates's um, patent for the body activity stuff. So you can generate currency, generate energy from the movement of the body using technology and crypto. So you're being tied to the blockchain, really. You're being, your physical being is being logged on the blockchain. And then we're looking at, um, you're a currency then. You're a, you're, a, you're a byproduct of, put it this way, the question would have to be asked, are you a byproduct of technology or is the technology a byproduct of you? You know, at that point. I would say that you're a byproduct of technology because, in essence, you would be um, the technology would be here long after your usefulness to technology, your body, your energy that you're generated over a lifetime would be um, finite, but the actual technology would be infinite. It would keep on living, so to speak. So you become a byproduct then. <laughs> wow it's pretty crazy it's so. crazy and that is the matrix isn't it <clears throat> yeah i mean it's pretty directly there but even 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 more directly than that you and i communicated in person the first time then i spoke to you through the internet mm -hmm. and then when you were arrested you weren't speaking to a judge the courtroom became the room you were in because you're speaking by video mm -hmm. now we've had the pandemic everyone's speaking via video yeah I've been remote working for years. Now a lot of people are remote working. It's all of a sudden I was seen as this, wow, what do you, you work from a computer. Now lots of people are doing it. Um, I've just got into VR. Facebook is bringing their, v, well, their VR new headset is out now. 
we're getting we're spending more and more of our time online and yeah. the online world is getting richer than the current world it is it is. We're even restricted from seeing each other, whereas yeah. I can now feel and touch people in the virtual yeah. world. And in the virtual world, I can pick who I am. Yeah. I could be a woman in the virtual world just yeah. by clicking it, just by saying it. I can change it anyway. All the stuff that the craziest, you know, the craziest trans activists and the craziest non-binary people. I, I know there's some people who aren't, but the really, oh, now I'm a man. Now I'm a woman. I feel like I'm a cat now. These are things that are made possible by the internet. So True. although I say, well, in reality, you're not. The reality we're moving to, they are. Very much so. And many of the films, you know, there's been a lot of films recently. Um, well, not even recently, over, over a good few years. If you're looking at it from the angle of predictive programming, yeah, which is a valid um, way of looking at the world. Yeah, this idea of reality becoming... Um, on the internet, in virtual reality. Player One. Ready well, Player One. Ready yeah. Player One. That was very much like that, you know? That's around the corner, that stuff. Yeah. It's a hardware issue at the moment. The software's yeah. all that. Um, again, we're on, the, we're on the verge of everything changing. You know, this speaks to um, what's happening with lockdowns as well. Mm. From my point of view... Lockdowns are a means to an end. They're not the solution to a problem. Mm. Whereas they're putting it across as it's a solution to COVID. Yeah. But for me, lockdowns are a means to an end. Um, What's I, the end? The end is um, having everybody online, um, separated, with a vastly reduced population, um, total authoritarian control, and um yeah i agree <laughs> a change a change in the way we interact in a human sense now there's a few videos that i'm looking at doing that i've not done and um, one's to do with learning classical learning um and the fact that schools see i've not done enough research into the age groups of the children but i've seen a lot of pictures where children are sitting in hula hoops you know in a very reduced class size, little children in a hula hoop. And it's supposed to be a psychological... Well, no, I'm saying it's a psychological prison. They're saying that it's a way of protecting people and giving the idea. But um, I wanted to take it back to the whole Pavlov and his dogs thing where, you know, he was able to teach a, a dog to salivate, not by the appearance of food, but by the sound of a bell. Um, the psychological effects of putting children in these little hula hoops will be to create children that believe that outside of them, the real world is a threat mm. and that other people are like biohazards. And it's dangerous because in a very short time, I've seen how it's happened to humanity. Everywhere, when you go out now, how everybody's in masks and the fear. I see the fear that people have with other people. That's happened in a few months. It's been so fast. Fast. It's terrifying. Uh, terrifying. The indoctrination is the most terrifying for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how everyone has gone along and they, they, this is an informer culture. Does it, oh, wow. It's crazy. Policing everyone. Yeah. Everybody's a police officer. Yeah. Policing it's everybody else. Yeah. It's 1984. It is. It's scary. 
Very, very scary. But it's the breakdown. I've just realized the, 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 the break, the, the state grows by breaking down the parent, child, parent, mother, father relationship and replacing the father. Then now trying to separate friends and everything. Everything. Because then you're more reliant on the state. And you're not, if, you, if you and I aren't talking and we just go to Big Brother, then how much it's going to be way bigger to threaten Big Brother, a way bigger action, bigger gulf to cross to threaten Big Brother. First, we need to start talking and we don't do that. Don't do that. But here's the thing. When you're talking like this now, it's sounding like it's a conspiracy theory because we are saying they're trying to do this. But no, what they're telling us they're doing is that these are just the natural consequences of fixing a problem. Yeah. And we want to go back to normal. If we can get back to, if we can do this, we can get back to normal. If we can do such and such, we can get back to normal. It won't be until a vaccine comes that we can get back to normal. So you and I are firmly in the belief that that isn't the agenda, that there is another agenda that wants to separate people, wants to change the way we live. The way we define humanity is changing now. Because five years down the line, if this carries on, 10 years down the line, we will have people that, I mean, I think it's happening now that people are happy to stay in there mm. through fear. Stay at home, yeah. Stay when when home. does staying at home go to staying in your pod? Maybe the matrix happens and we all choose to get in the pods. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, see, that's the way it's going, isn't it? Yeah, and there's more to come, isn't there? You see, we don't know what the next development in... The the next event that takes us further down that line, we don't know what it is. I'm not saying I'm just saying the next event because I'm again, I'm not saying the next event that is planned or the next event that is pushed on us. Just the next event that happens, because I believe that in this process, in the pandemic process, um, in the pandemic drama, that the next thing is the vaccine, and further progressions in ID and identification, mm. track and trace and all this further developments and possibly a cashless society. Yeah. They want that. Yeah. So when these things come into play, it's, it's going to redefine humanity completely. And there's a big push to get us all working online anyway, isn't there? Mm. And also earning in whatever way um, online. Everything trackable, yeah, that's what they want. Threats to the state are people interacting without being monitored by the state and without being taxed by the state. So taxed in the sense that I do something for you, you give me some money, they want the money from it because they need to be fair. Or taxed in the sense of they monitor and make sure that we're conversing correctly, the right way, Big Brother style. They're just taking They're just taking from you every single time. And I think that, you, you know... There are things they want to do. No doubt the government wants to get everybody online and they've got their reasons for wanting to do it, which will be, well, we can fight crime, X, Y, Z. Those are their stated explicit um, goals. But you, you said several times, this is, it sounds like conspiracy talk because when you talk about this stuff, you imagine a group of people in a room going, how do we control society? That's not how it works. Just like a company, because of its incentive structure, finds the most efficient way to make money mm -hmm. and they push it to the limit of what mm -hmm. people will take. Governments do the same thing. They grow because of their incentive structure to want more control and more power, just like a company does. Yeah, These do. are just financial incentives set into systems 
which are controlled by laws in both cases. Mm. And if you're afraid of one thing growing out of control, you should be afraid of the other thing. It's funny how the society seems to be split into the government is good for you or companies are good for you. People don't mistrust power equally. Well, um, here's the thing um, with the government. Now, control is one thing, but defi- redefining what we are is another thing. And the, con- the ultimate control. Yeah. The control that's taking place also redefines us. And this is the this is a problem for me because there seems like there's a lot of people that want to give up certain aspects of their humanity mm. um, via control. Such as? Well, I believe that the way technology is becoming more part and parcel of the human being I think this is a is a is a change in humanity. Yeah. Because obviously um food production, um design and stuff like this is all infringed on what humanity and what kind of um, nature is. For instance, we have um splicing of different types of um animals into different food products and so forth and back and forth in order to create more efficient types of products. But that allows us to patent nature, parts of nature. Yeah. Um, stuff like genetically engineered food, um, the way it affects the ecosystem and so forth. For instance, seeds with Monsanto. You don't have natural seeds, you have painted seeds that only like terminator type mm. stuff. It only lasts for a generation so that you have to buy more products so people can't actually stock um, seeds which you used to be able to use for seeds and keep them and, you're robbing people yeah. of humanity of like what it is to be on earth I mean it's crazy it's it is crazy but again the human being is no longer going to be something that is like your identity the way the way I've looked at some of the propaganda that's coming out um it's it's showing you that your identity is basically in the past this this is my identity isn't it? me i am my identity the things that you see in front of me are embodied in this place that you're looking at um but no more the identity is something separate and it's linked to technology and you kind of own your identity mm. it's like a brand you have a brand yeah yeah and that brand you it's not part of your humanity it's more part of a of a um technologically driven idea mm. that's more valuable than what you are as a human yeah there's a version of you being being stored on several computers facebook probably got the most complete version <laughs> of it in google but these are clones of you that they then use to sell back to you in the form of products. It's very strange what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, it's very strange. And it's only going to get more and more ridiculous until eventually you, you, you're not the thing of any value. But you won't be, well, you can't be. For the system to work, you can't be. It's similar to coming back to the law thing because the natural law and the legal system doesn't really acknowledge you as a, as a, as a human it acknowledges a legal entity. Mm. So, again, you're trying to assert yourself as a human being. 
When I went to court the last time, it was very horrible, really, because they're saying to me, Mr. Dami needs to um, put forward his ideas as to why he might think there's bias. And I was immediately going to speak. He stopped me and never gave me a chance to speak, even though he'd said those words. I would have been able to speak if I didn't have that solicitor speaking for me. The reason I can't say anything apart from my name in that situation really is because he only wants to hear from the legal representation. I don't really exist. I'm just giving life to that legal fiction in the room. They'll do the rest. You know, I don't exist in that. And it's the same, the same kind of ideologies that's happening with the world. You do not exist apart from the identity that can interact and support the system. I think a lot of people are suffering from that realisation and are trying to, you know, make believe that they do exist in terms of the system, but they don't, and it's a sad situation. Yeah. What do you think the answer is? And that's a, quite an ask. Um, I, I haven't got a clue what the answer is, and the reason why is because, like I say, we're kind of all slaves in the system, yeah? We're, we're all slaves in the system and we're trying to find freedom at a point where the doors are closing in. So it's very difficult to have a solution. Um, the only thing I can say is that I'm not one to become negative and say that there is no solution. But any solution that we find as humanity has to come through... Um, Firstly, understanding that we, the value of our humanity is not based in the technology that's, you know, surrounding us at the moment and beginning to determine what we are. That's the first solution is we have to claim what we are as a humanity. And we have to do that collectively because it's no good with, um, it's no good saying that individuals can solve this problem because we can't now. We can't. Everything in the world is designed to take away that individuality, that spark of what makes us human. So we have to kind of reclaim that as a collective. Sounds like a big ask, mm -hmm. doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think spending more time with people is a good starting point. I think people don't do that these days. Definitely. We're, we're like phones, I, I just can't believe the difference. Like I said, I was saying to you, I think before we started, went to New York in 2008 for a tech conference, biggest geeks ever, no one had phones. Eight years later, everyone's grandchildren. I've seen people giving phones to kids in prams. Like, I just think it's, it's not a good way to be going. These are tools, but they should be supplemental. They shouldn't be the reality that we're in. And nothing beats sitting opposite someone as we're speak, doing now true. and actually having a conversation. Very true. Um, which is basically why I'm doing this podcast. I'm like, well, <laughs> even though it is going out, it's going out in the most human form that I think you can have on the internet, which is two people's voices unedited or two people, a video, two people unedited talking. That's, I, I think that's a good starting point, but... <sighs> It sounds insane that what you're going through. I'm really sorry that you're going through this. It sounds no, ridiculous. I'm not. I'm not sorry at all. There's um, a reason. I, yeah, I feel like I've been chosen in a way to do this. Not, um, not 
in a divine sense or, you know, like that. But I think that we choose our reality and what we're going to do in life. And I think that circumstances sometimes choose us too. And I think all the circumstances of my life, coupled with the fact that I've never been happy about corruption, has, has chosen me for this. Definitely. You know, everything's organised. I mean, I'd, even on a small level, this case, yeah. When I said earlier that I knew I'd be arrested, it's because more or less everything I'm doing is anti-system. And I know that they want me back locked up and silenced. So it's kind of inevitable that they were going to try and do something. And also, yes, I am I am violating the, the laws that they've tried to gag me with. So it's kind of inevitable. So, yeah, I've kind of chosen it and the, the system has chosen me. So when it puts me in this court situation in a, over just over a year's time, it's something that I very much embrace as if I was chosen divinely then, you know. It's like that. I feel like that, you know, and maybe that... I was thinking the other day that they could actually make a case for what I've done to say you are actually narcissistic. Mm -hmm. You are actually paranoid because you've done a poster there, you've done a promotional thing for a court a court trial mm -hmm. and you're promoting it like it was a club night. That's a bit narcissistic to say the least. Yeah, They could make an argument for that, but I just think to myself, you want to do corrupt things in secret. So let me be the one to be the symbol for everybody's um, pain that they've gone through with the system. And I said it to other fathers recently, I'm not going to fight for just me and my children. I'm going to fight the entire system for everybody's children and everybody's freedom because we're in that time. We're supposed to be define our legacy, not other people. Um, and why is it that we have to look at ourselves as so insignificant? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It is, it is massive the way I'm looking at what's happening because I look at it, maybe in the past I would have looked at Preston Crown Court as just a court, but no, I look at it as, part of an entire system that is hurting the world, hurting the country, hurting the individuals. It's part of an entire system and it is. So it's massive. I'm, I'm not going against Preston Court. I'm going against the entire system. And it's not an ego thing when I say that. It's basically because your same system that you're doing to little me here in this court is the same system that is, like this, like I say, it facilitated Savile. It destroys children now. It is, it is doing the most violent, horrendous things all over the country, all over the world right now to human beings. So if I don't fight in this little place in Preston, then the world is lost. Yeah? We've all got to fight... So there might be a, a mother somewhere who's going against immigration in her little world, but she's taking on the system. 
you know. So it's not an insignificant thing. It's a really powerful thing, you know. Let them... Too long have they kind of played down our, our impact on the system. So many times when I was in, locked up in prison, they'll say these, these terms to me. You can't beat the system. Don't speak out on judges. You know, you can't do this. Even my brother said it the other day. And I'd be like, yeah, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But inside, I'm not thinking that. And I feel like I'm doing myself a disjustice when I actually acknowledge those kind of thinking. You can't beat the system. But you can beat the system. They don't like you to think you can, but you can. I'm an example of someone beating the system because I'm a father. I'm still fighting. They're still trying to silence me. And there's been so many mothers and fathers that have lost their lives, taken their lives. So those ones are victims of the system. Yeah. I'm not a victim of the system yet. So I've, I've actually won. I'm winning. I'm winning. So yeah, I need to send that message to people that the system, on the on the picture that I've done, it came to me yesterday and I used it on the poster. It says, if the system cannot bend, it will break. And somebody who saw the poster that I've done for it said, that's going to scare the pants off them. Good. Good. It should. One person, one man, one woman, or even one child should be able to use truth to scare the entire system. They should. And I will. I have no doubt about it, especially after speaking to you today. Um, thank you very much for speaking to me. This has been awesome. Listen, it's been awesome, and thank you. Thank yeah, you. I'd, um, I'd definitely like to come back and speak to you again as really? this moves along. Oh, 100%. of course, yes. Yeah. Listen, don't even say it in a, oh, I'd like to, as if the, whenever. I just, yeah, yeah, I don't we'll want to take up time. too much of your time. Yeah, but you like, mean down the really line. <laughs> down, yeah, just, I'm very interested in where this goes and just like to speak to you again anyway. Um, but um, I'm going to put all your links. So it's Elevi Truth TV yeah. on YouTube yeah. and Facebook. And I'll yeah. put, I, I, I'd highly recommend, if you're interested in this, go and check those videos out. You go oh, into a lot you. of detail. Um, stuff that I didn't know. And like I said, you're not afraid to use examples. You're also not afraid to use uh, film clips as well. So Denzel Washington in the last one, I really <laughs> like that. Very funny. Um, yeah, Elevi Truth TV. Check him out. Thanks Thank very much, Elevi. Thank you so much. Bless you. Thank Cheers, you. Man. Amen indeed. Wow. The things that some people have to deal with. I mean, having children, what a beautiful thing. And then, for whatever reason, you part ways with the mother. And then all of a sudden, you're in a legal battle to see your children. I mean, they're your children. I've got hope, though. I've got a lot of hope after speaking with Alibi. Very switched on. Very calm. He's been through a lot. And wow, just an amazing guy to be in the presence of, to be honest. And I have no doubt this is all going to work out well for him. Um, you can't help. I mean, you, you guys just listen to him for three hours, right? You can't help but hear what kind of person he is, you know. And this is just going to come through. 
it, it just will. And it, it'll be getting through to his children as well. I mean, they know, right? I mean, what a, what a great, great father. How could they not know how much he loves his kids? They know. And at the end of the day, no amount of courts, legal proceedings, laws, jail time will ever change the bond that they have with their father. Um, it's just unfortunate that there's this huge, massive, wasted amount of time and energy, right? Think about all the energy he's put into fighting his case. He could have just been being a father. Time way better spent for him and for his kids. But I have no doubt. I have no doubt that he's going to win this thing. We'll be checking back in with Elevi, certainly before and after that court case. Um, but I think we've. I feel we've got a lot more to talk about as well. Um, when I rang Elevi the first time, when I turned up at his house to have the interview and I forgot my USB-C adapter. Anyway, when I rang him outside, he answered the phone and said, hello, Morpheus. And I thought, ah, okay, I like this guy. <laughs> anyone who, anyone who's that into the matrix is, is fine by me. It's someone I can get on with. So if you want to hear more from Elevi, check out Elevi Truth TV on YouTube, E-L-A-V-I. If you just type that in and then truth, he'll come up immediately. Um, if you want to hear his music, just type Elevi into YouTube. You'll hear his music. Uh, if you want to reach out with him on Facebook, it's Elevi Dowie. And I'll put links to his Facebook and his YouTube channels in the description. So you can just click on them. Um, maybe you're going through something similar. Maybe you know someone who's been through something similar. And it would help them to hear this story. You know, send them this podcast or send them along. Send them Elevi's YouTube channel. This is um, something my friend Mark always says, Coop. says, you don't know who you're playing for. And I think the same is true with Elevi. You don't know who's listening. And this is the, the hope that can come from hearing that someone is going through that and is fighting and winning. Like, I mean, <laughs> it's an incredible story, man. And it's, um, it's inspiring. It really is. It's just a shame that it's under such you know, ridiculous circumstances, tragic circumstances, but, you know, this is, uh, this is life and this is where you find out what you're made of. Awesome. Can't wait to speak to you again. Elevi, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I hope you guys all enjoyed that episode. Hey, I'm going to ask you guys to do something. If you enjoyed that episode and if you know somebody else who would enjoy that episode, then send them it. Um, why not? Never usually ask you guys for help, but I kind of want to spread this one around. And if you know of anyone with an interesting story that you think I should speak to on this podcast, get in touch. Get in touch with me uh, through the Facebook page. If you know me, just text me. Um, you can get in touch through midnightmass.church. There's a contact form there. Let me know. I'd really like to. I want to speak to interesting people with interesting stories. Um, I'm sure you guys are sick of hearing me talk, so I just want more interesting guests. It, it, it's incredible. I mean, these these episodes are really, I mean, selfishly, they're really making a massive difference in my life. I just love meeting these people. They're all awesome. Uh, and yes, Midnight Mass stickers. I've got Midnight Mass stickers. So if you guys want one of them, pretty cool. I've got the Jesus logo on with the Titanic sinking in the background. <laughs> Interpret that however you will. Um, 
if you want a midnight mass sticker just sign up to the mailing list on the website and um yeah first bunch of people that do that i'll get your contact details and i will send you one out through the post all right thanks (laughs) 